Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And this week was kind of weird with uh, the BNR announcement. And then this is the first day that Deckless from Magic Online were up with the new Stoneforge Mystic BNR announcement stuff. And 29 instances of Stoneforge, I think, in this deck dump. So pretty big impacts. 29 of 88 decks playing Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah, pretty dramatic change. I'm glad we held off on doing this cast until today. Obviously, this is a little later than we usually record. So people who aren't participating in these live casts right now, uh, you're going to get this in your feed a little bit later. Hopefully you forgive us. We did that bonus episode earlier in the week. So I think that got us off the hook a little bit and gave us a little bit more flexibility. Like you said, don't know if it's going to be a habit, but I am enjoying being able to respond to things as they happen. It feels more timely, feels more like what our viewers really, really want. And I'm definitely open to doing this. I think the response to the first live podcast was really, really good. I was really pleased with how much people liked it. Yeah, uh, I I agree with you completely. Things move very quickly. And, you know, if we wait after some information gets posted and then do a podcast and then it takes like a day to edit and get posted and whatnot, it's just it's too long, you know, so Doing this sort of raw thing, I think, is just net positive, you know, assuming we have the time and everything. Yeah, and it's worked out thus far. Speaking of super timely, I have some timely information that I can only share because we use this delayed podcast format. I played fandom yesterday and have some thoughts on standard if you'd like to hear them. I suppose. I mean... (laughs) Mildly interested is Jerry. So Ferocidon was legal for this thing, right? Correct. That is correct. Well, I'm kind of interested about that, I guess. Okay. There wasn't much Ferocidon. So sorry if that disappoints you. And in fact, like one of the expected homes for it, I would say was Boros Feather. There was a Boros Feather list in the top four. Didn't play Ferocidon, played Blood Sun instead. Uh, Would have to get that person's thoughts on that decision. But as far as other Ferocidons, there was no Mono Red in the tournament. There was a very, very small amount of Rakdos Aggro. I think just one person, Dave C, playing Rakdos Aggro, who had Ferocidons. That was the big Ferocidon deck. Okay. And that was really about it. It did not make a good showing. The most represented decks were Kethis with four people playing the deck and Esper Control with three people playing the deck. I played Esper Control. I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses. I was a very late addition to the fandom lineup. I basically got in touch with me an hour before deck lists were due. So I didn't have a huge (laughs) amount of time to think about it and defaulted to what I had been playing. But I made a huge mistake, quite frankly. And despite the fact that Esper Control did pretty well, like two of the top eight were playing Esper Control, Kethis is the best deck in standard by a pretty large margin, I believe. And it's crazy because I feel like Esper is a deck loaded with card advantage and two for ones and all your planeswalkers make these snowballing advantages and you should be the deck that just like pushes things out of control. But I would get a two for one and my Kethis opponent would have like a seven for one or a 14 for one. And every card coming off the top of their deck was absolutely terrifying and capable of just ending the game on the spot. And I played against it three times. I went one and two, probably got a little lucky to win the one match I did win. Uh, I was woefully unprepared for it, and I just think it's far and away the best deck right now. If I was playing the Moto PTQ this weekend, 100% I'd be playing Kethis. The best thing you can do in Standard right now, figure out your Kethis sideboard. That is definitely where you get paid. Did you look at the Mox results? 
I did. And they were also pretty heavily favoring Kethis. Yep. And wildly different as far as like the flex slots in the Kethis deck and in the right. sideboards. So yeah, I think tuning the sideboard is where you can get a pretty big edge. So I lost the canister playing for top eight and canister went on to win the entire event with Kethis. The sideboard tech that he had, which I hadn't really seen in a bunch of other places. He had Shalai, which seemed pretty incredible. It's just a raw threat. And then he played the Yawgmoth legendary spell, which just crushed me. And I was in this position where everything I tried to do just didn't work. Like if were I to thought erasure him, had some way to regenerate the card from the graveyard, were I to not thought erasure him, was going to play Tamiyo and negate that thought erasure at some point. And yeah. it's just like this never ending cavalcade of horrible decisions that you can't come out ahead on possibly. And really the way you beat the deck, and this is very specific, I'm talking about the Esper control side, they just have to fail to do what they're doing. Like they, if they do their game plan, you cannot win. It's almost impossible. And I think yeah. I was prepared too. Like my sideboard had some concessions. I played two unmoored ego. Uh, I played a graph diggers cage. I played Ashiok. And I, I wanted to have a diverse array of things that could interact with their game plan. It mattered the time I beat Kethis uh, against Canister. I had like turn one cage. It was completely irrelevant. Just didn't do anything. Maybe tripped him up a little bit, but ultimately he was going to win the game no matter what. So, Yeah. Uh, feather or some sort of beatdown deck is supposed to be good against Kethis, right? Like that's basically the only thing you can do. Yeah, and that tracks to me. I could see Feather being uh, a very strong choice for this weekend as well. I, I think in this particular tournament, the Phantom Tournament, it had vulnerabilities with three players on Esper Control, which is a problematic matchup. I mean, yeah. I think that matchup's gotten better. Their sideboard tech is decent, but still, you really don't want to be playing against Esper Control as Feather. But the Kethis matchup is supposed to be very good, so... Well, yeah, do do that then. I mean, it, like, Kethis is very good. It's very popular. It's going to be part of the winner's metagame. I would definitely not want to play a deck that loses the Kethis. I don't know if you're supposed to be hard targeting it because you still have to beat other things, but it's definitely public enemy number one. Yep, right there with you. I, I think the soft target is Feather, and that's pretty respectable. Those would be the two choices I would be okay with if you were playing going into this weekend. Anything else? Might just be a mistake given how good Kethis is. It's it's a scary, scary deck for sure. And okay. kind of incredible. Like you have to give props to that deck building team, right? Like it's been a while since a team just completely broke it before a big standard tournament. And this represents like this is a broken deck from nowhere that they absolutely deserve all the credit for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I tried building various decks like this when Kethis came out and I, I just couldn't get it right. I couldn't figure it out, you know? And it was just very much about finding the right shell and minimizing all the nonsense, like cutting to Char and things like that that people normally played, and they did it. Yep, for sure. All right, you want to get started on modern decks? Yeah, let's do it, because there's a billion of these modern decks. Yeah, so. we have we have a lot of burn decks to get through, too. So Why are there so many burn decks? How do they find 10 different cards in these burn decks every time? There's like four as we move through this list. Uh, so this, this first one is pretty normal, but with the black splash, right? Bump in a night, uh, collective brutality. Skelemental as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. That's, yeah, that's, that's, a big that's one, the big switch up. Okay. Well, let's skip it anyway. Okay. I'm right there with you. Next, Next deck, deck. Neoform. Is this deck playable? Because I know that it, it's scary, and occasionally 5-0s on Magic Online. It kind of went deep at GP Las Vegas, but 
clearly the overall win rate isn't high because Watsy hasn't touched it. They haven't even addressed it. So what's the deal? Here's my thought. People don't play the deck well, and I'm including myself in that. I messed around with this deck. I wrote about this in my article this week. I wrote off this deck very quickly after some gold fishing. Jonathan Zhang basically devoted his life to this deck, has posted incredible win rates, meticulously tracks all of his matchups, and very clearly is crushing with this deck, was very close to a top eight performance at Las Vegas before the wheels kind of came off at the end. I think prior to Hogak leaving, we were not giving this deck due respect. I think we had written it off probably irrationally so. Now, with Stoneforge being everywhere, Blue-White is a miserable, miserable matchup for this deck. Like Path to Exile is a huge problem card. Force of Negation, tremendous problem card. If that deck picks up, I don't think you can realistically keep playing Allosaurus Rider combo. Just not good. realistic. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's a good thing. But if things trend down, if it doesn't, if for whatever reason Stoneforge doesn't make it in the format, which I say laughing because 29 of these 88 decks contain Stoneforge, you have to keep your eye on this deck. It'll steal a tournament at some point. It really will. Like things will just line up properly. Someone will still be playing it. But I, I don't think it's the best choice right now. Yeah, this is going to be a hot take, but I think that Stoneforge Mystic is playable. Yeah, way to be uh, very bold and brave there, Jerry. All right, next deck. We're, Bob we're and Cheese. S- Bob and Cheese is in the chat right now. Oh, and I nice. Know has been working on this deck quite a bit. It's a devoted druid combo adding Stoneforge Mystic. Bob and Cheese, scale of 1 to 10, how good is your deck? Give Bob a second to respond. I know Bob was talking about uh, having a bow in this deck to dump your infinite mana into a Viridian bow at some point. You could find that with Stoneforge mystic as you squeeze those packages tighter and tighter might be exactly what you're looking for. You like having ways to dump your mana, but this deck looks solid to me. It's playing multiple game plans. Now it's basically what you would expect from devoted Druid combo. It's picked up finale of devastation as it's search bell. It's got Eladomri's call so it's consistently finding these devoted druid pieces, but it's buying time with Stoneforge Mystic. I really also like the four giver of runes. It's kind of a nod to playing a little bit slower. It's good. I mean, this deck is just solid. This is another very high on my list, reasonable pick going into this weekend, because one of the things you'll see I emphasize throughout this, I do believe Stoneforge is good. I think it's best when you're playing it in a combo. I mean, I think modern is just still the same format, still want to do unfair things. And this is a really great example of that. Right, and if your opponent is very good at breaking up your combo or whatever, you have this backup plan of, in Bob and Jesus' case, getting a sort of light and shadow and just grinding a little bit. Yeah. And Bob said that this version is kind of eh, the current version is very good, and has an updated version on Twitter, so if y'all want to check that out. Yeah, take a peek. That Viridian longbow action. Splashy tack there. Next, Beekeeper with some dirge. I, I was told we banned Faithless Looting and we were done with Dredge, Gerald. Is that not accurate? Or is this something we're still doing? Looting is obviously very efficient and very strong, but you know, Beekeeper basically swapped that out for Insolent Neonate and some more Forgotten Caves. And I think that's a pretty reasonable place to go. And it likely slows Dredge down by like half a turn or something and you don't get the mid-game flashbacks that you used to have. But I think like having a bunch of Forgotten Caves and Loam sort of makes up for that. 
So I don't know. Like obviously Dredge got a little bit worse, but there are acceptable replacements. Dredge is yeah. still alive. So Sodek has been playing Tome Scour. A bunch of folks in the chat mentioning that, and I, I've seen that. Says it's a reasonable replacement. I think it's interesting playing that over Memory Sluice, uh, which is a card I have registered for a Pro Tour before. So it's got Pro Tour pedigree, even if I only went four one at that Pro Tour. But still, it's <laughs> it's been there. It's done decently. I don't know. I mean, maybe five card is just better than four with potential upside, but uh, there's options is my point. And it'll be interesting to see which options these decks ultimately settle on. Yeah. Ayami notes that 19 land with no lootings is very, very low, especially when three of them are forgotten caves and you, you know, you definitely don't want to have to use that as an actual land. So fair point. And to get your loam engine going, you need two mana sources, right? So you basically need a two land hand. And I, I agree that 19 lands is way too low. We'll have to watch that. But this deck, you know, if people don't respect graveyards, Dredge will be there. I promise you Dredge will be there. This core is still extremely powerful. There's some strategies that just can't deal with this mode of interaction. So, Yeah, so also up today on Star City, I have an article with 30 Stoneforge Mystic decks, if y'all want to go check that out. And when building these decks and constructing these sideboards, I was trying to think of what the metagame might look like. And... Obviously, I was skimping on Graveyard Hate a little bit. I think most of my decks had like, you know, the average of like two Rest in Peace or two Graft Digger's Cage or whatever. And I, I don't think that that's uncommon. I think that that is how most people are going to approach Modern at this point, where you play a little bit because you're not sure. And then, you know, it just opens the door for Dredge to actually uh, have a good weekend. So, yeah, that, that article was dope, by the way. And I, I know you were really happy with it. Oh my god, I'm exhausted, man. I I believe that, and uh, it, it's a lot to devote that much to an article that things move very quickly, you know. And a lot of that won't make a ton of sense as we move into next week. But I think you laid a very nice foundation for people to push things forward. So uh, nice, nice takes there. I appreciated that article. Well, it makes me happy going through this deck dump, and it's like you know, me and the Moto Grinders are basically on the same page in a lot of instances. So yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's, it hasn't been invalidated yet. You know, that's the fear. It's like, oh, your article goes up and it's like someone in the deck dump broke it or whatever. And your article right. sucks. Right. Yeah, that's always the fear. I mean, that's why we're doing more live podcasts. We've had multiple instances where we record on Wednesday and Thursday something happens. And it's like, oh, no, we have missed a large portion of this equation. Yep. All right. So this deck, uh, slightly different than the decks that I was building. This is a white deck, kind of death and taxes-y. Splashing a little bit of blue. Teferi Time Raveler alongside Spell Queller is a very potent combo. Yes. I like that a lot. Underrepresented in the metagame right now is my belief. I think this should probably be like pushing into pillar territory. There should be more Spell Queller Teferi decks. Yeah. And playing Leonin Arbiter along Stoneforge Mystic. Your thoughts? Can't do it. I Look, I understand the pull, and I understand wanting to be these white disruptive decks, and now you can go Squirter Folks, and that's going to feel really good, but it's going to squeeze you sometimes, and I, I talked already about Leon and Arbiter maybe not being one of my favorite cards. I think some strategies, you are forced to go down that route. You basically have no choice. This is not one of them. This is a powerful deck with powerful options that can play into the late game very well. And I think if you just eliminated that package, you're ready to play just good mid-range grindy magic and beat a bunch of decks doing so. 
Yeah, basically where I wanted to end up on decks like this was instead of Arbiter Ghost Quarter, like you have a lot of uh, blue-white gold cards and Force of Negation is not that difficult to play. Yeah, that tracks. I, I think it's just a actually more powerful option considering what you care about as this deck. Yeah, so Arbiter Stoneforge shows up in at least a couple decks in this deck dump and one of the decks sideboards the Arbiters, which... I think is fine, but kind of awkward. And then this sideboard has three different swords in the sideboard, which I just hate. Sword of Fire and Ice, Sword of Light and Shadow, Sword of Sinew and Steel. And if you are watching the live version of the podcast, all these swords represented in this beautiful slideshow we have going on down in the bottom right corner. But maybe all should not be represented in your deck. Seems aggressive and there's there's probably a right choice it's it's so awkward too because post board especially in the world we live in now people should have ways to blow up your artifacts right so you're like you're devoting all of these sideboard slots to have the right sword in each matchup and your opponent is likely just going to blow up the first artifact that you find i think that's that's reasonable yeah get get your main deck sword correct Maybe there's some instances. I, I've been on record as saying I really like Sword of Light and Shadow. We talked about that last week, and I've seen more people pick that up, which makes me happy. One of the packages I really like with Sword of Light and Shadow that I want to see more of is Fulminator Mage Light and Shadow setups. I think that's realistic against big mana decks. I think people are sleeping on that a little bit. In those instances, I like having like the sideboard Light and Shadow to complement that package. Where your game plan is shifting around the sword and you can do something different, it's really cool. But just like value fire and ice value sinew and steel not as sold on yeah do you want to talk about the feast and famine main in this deck too like what what sort are you main decking and why i kind of went over this in my article but uh curious to hear your thoughts i, I think it totally totally depends on the deck it's completely yeah, variable i i think in this deck sort of feast and famine is the correct choice when you have a spell caller deck when you have instant speed interaction i'm into it the ether vial combination where you're just always having free mana that's good but I want a few more ways to take advantage of that. I don't think spell crawlers enough. And that's what I would do with those Leonin Arbiter slots. Like you can do more and find better ways to exploit this mana advantage. On the whole, if you're just asking format wide, what is the correct main deck sword? And I don't get to say Batter Skull. It's probably Sword of Feast and Famine. But I think you have to be very careful on a per deck basis that you are making the right decision. And there's a bunch of instances I've seen where Light and Shadow is correct. I saw Ari Lax post something on Twitter that like, if you're playing a sword, you should probably be playing one that was made in the last 10 years. And I get that. I I actually think fire and ice might be the worst of all the swords. I have not been impressed with it and don't see a whole bunch of applications for it. Really? I I like fire and ice more in this sort of white weenie deck. Just as having another source of card advantage, a little bit of reach. What's the appeal for you? Right. Like this deck is going to run out of gas and doesn't have a lot of ways to utilize extra mana, and it has a relatively low mana curve. So like between Aether Vile and all of those things, I think by the time you connect with Feast and Famine, maybe you have a Spell Queller, and obviously that's great, but past that, like you're just not going to have any cards to use the mana on, and you already have Aether Vile as a way to like connect with Sword and Hold Open Spell Queller. So I think you just want the clock, the chip damage, uh, having another way to interact with stuff, and... Maybe depending on where the format ends up, you could argue that like 
evasion from feast and famine might be more relevant in the format than evasion from fire and ice with the protection colors so i don't know yeah if there's germs everywhere i think that's informing a lot of the decision right if you have to get through a batter skull the way you do it is protection from black and that's why sort of feast and famine sort of light and shadow are getting a bunch of points as far as that axis goes i guess like your correction for fire and ice is accounting for this deck as it's presently built I would want to build this deck differently and make sort of feast and famine work. And that's yeah, where we uh, differ. So when, when we started talking about this deck, I talked about how I was building these decks with force of negation and uh, a little bit more card advantage. My version of that deck has feast and famine. Okay. Because you go longer, you have more card advantage type things already built in. You have more ways to use your mana, et cetera. So I, I think we're on the same page there. Okay. Sounds good. All right, next up, uh, ooh, Stoneforge Mystic. Nice. Shocking. The Rowboat. Uh, white, Black, Eldrazi. No Leonin Arbiters. Okay. I'm down with that. Are you down with 61 cards? Because that's what we're working with here. Whatever, man. Uh, you, you, had to, <laughs> you had to fit in the third equipment somehow. Right. And the fourth Flicker Wisp. Obviously, that's uncuttable. Yeah, I, I would cut one of those cards is where it's there. Uh, even Wasteland Strangler, I think. People really like Wasteland Strangler in this archetype. I think it's pretty overvalued and doesn't have a whole bunch of applications. But Eldrazi plus Stoneforge Mystic is a very real thing. I don't know which is the best shell. I think Black-White is appealing. I think Green-White is appealing. Full Bant excites me a little bit less. I think you're just pushing a little far and you get fine options in two colors. Yeah, the the blue is medium and I think Green-White just still mostly covers your bases. Right. Right. Uh, but these setups are cool. And I think they are they have late game power. Maybe Aether Vile, the strongest silent winner in the Stoneforge lottery. A lot of these newer looking Aether Vile decks, the only real Aether Vile deck for a very long time was humans. Occasionally spirits. I think spirits popped up from time to time. These decks often playing second fiddle. With the addition of Stoneforge Mystic, all of these Aether Vile decks deserve a lot more respect and a second look powerful two drop option alongside Thalia finally getting a little excited about these type of archetypes I mean the disruption is just a pinch lower than I would want it to be like a a tiny little pinch I wish we could do a little bit more against stack based combo all of this stuff lines up so poorly with stack based combo by the way it it seems like such a slam dunk and a way to get an edge in this format it's just don't play any of these games completely skip it but as things stand yeah, if everyone's going to do Eldrazi or everyone's going to do Stoneforge stuff, Eldrazi is a very nice approach. Yeah, Wasteland Strangler's value goes up a little bit when there are just a bunch Tide of small creatures. Colors. Yeah, well, just a bunch of creatures running around, right? Mm-hmm. So Wasteland Strangler, I was not super happy with before, but now I think you know that in combination with all the blink effects might be something you could look into doing. Uh, it's just it's not that easy for someone to exile a card, you know, like this, this deck doesn't have relic or anything. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to actually make happen a lot of the time, especially multiple times, but yeah, only really 11 options, right? Thought Nazi or Tide Hollow Skuller. Yeah. Assuming they're not delving or whatever, but this deck has Thought Nazi or and Skuller. And I, you know, there were some people on our discord talking about white black with no vile and playing inquisitions. And I think I like that a little bit more. But it's also possible that maybe that's just like too much discard, you know, by the time you play Thought Nazi or maybe they just don't have a hand or whatever. Could be. I, I'll also point out like these decks historically, horrible, horrible, horrible against big mana decks. 
this is exactly where I would look to use that Fulminator Mage Light and Shadow package. I think this that's a completely reasonable plan. You already have the Light and Shadow in your main deck. Actually giving four sideboard slots to big mana can make a difference. For a long time, I think you were incentivized to just ignore it because you couldn't do anything. I think now four sideboard slots gives you a very real plan against it. Yeah. Uh, Unearth is also a nice card that works really well with Stoneforge Mystic, especially point. W- when you're playing a bunch of small creatures alongside it. So that's mm-hmm. another thing that you could use to take advantage of that. Get like a little quick burst of land destruction. For sure. Next up, we have Lone Star with Esper Control. And this this is a thing that's like kind of offensive to me, right? This is a deck with planes that doesn't have Stoneforge Mystic. What's the deal? Well. Is that just a mistake? No. I, I think there are decks that can not play Stoneforge Mystic in the main. When you come to the sideboard, I think you have to give it some real consideration. I don't know what the appeal is of doing this right now, but I didn't know what the appeal was of doing this a month ago, and I didn't get the appeal three months before that. Nothing's changed. I mean, I I don't think this deck has gotten better with the removal of Hogak from the format. Like, this deck was built kind of to prey on those decks. You see the two main deck Kaya's Guiles still. Yeah. I mean, it's debatable whether it actually did effectively prey on those decks, but they were trying to, and maybe never went as far as to achieve that, but now I'm not really sure what the place is for an Esper Control deck like this. Yeah, and if, if anything, Kaya's Guile just got much worse, right? So, like, why are we playing black? I, I just don't get it. With you. Next. Tenchi, Mono Blue Affinity, Chief Engineer, Ethereum Sculptor, all of Magic's finest cards. I played against something like this in the queues this week, but it was... Much more prisony had Chalice of the Void and the other like tap all your artifacts gain Convoke and Lodestone Golems and Thorns and it felt okay. Yeah, this but, is this is Thorn and Lodestone Golem. I think that's a, a reasonable amount of disruption. Yeah, the the one I faced was a little bit more disruption heavy, a little bit more combo centric, I would say. But stuff like this, I have to ask why. Again, if there is a uptick in stack-based combo, having main deck Thorn of Amnethyst, it seems like a pretty good place to be. But this does not seem like something I want to do, especially when like public enemy number one, as far as card types go, is no longer graveyards, it's artifacts. And I feel like you're giving up a lot of vulnerability here. Well, another thing that I figured out when I was building all those decks for my article was that like I wanted at least some number of disenchants before I turn to like hard artifact hate, right? Because things like Stony Silence and Shatterstorm, it's just like, they're not that great against equipment, right? Like if, right. if they go Stoneforge into Batterskull and you have a Stony Silence, it's just like not really doing anything. Like you have to be able to beat the 4-4 or just blow up the Batterskull outright. And I'd much rather be doing that. So Yes, your artifacts are going to be targeted, but like if your opponent's just bringing in, you know, some Doom Blades and Flame Tongue Kabus, I mean, you can fight through that. That's not that big of a deal, I don't think. Thoughts on three Mox Opal? If you're playing like Chief Engineer and Ethereum Sculptor, I guess Ethereum Sculptor is an artifact. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like the Opal should be pretty live in this deck. So I guess I'm not sure why there's only three. They're expensive. I'll say that. That's, that's about all I got. That is definitely true, but. I don't know. You could make the argument that, oh, you don't really want to draw two, but I'd much rather draw the first one than not draw any. So 
Yeah, one of the broken pillars of the format, I would start with for Mox Opal. This archetype is interesting, but I don't have a reason why it should be better now than it was previously. And if it never succeeded before, I'm kind of willing, given the time crunch, to write this off for the time being. Well, Mystic Forge, you know, like you now have this giant engine. Waterlog Grove helps a little bit too. Like it has gotten some new cards. I think it's fine that people are experimenting with this. And if things like Thorn and Lodestone Golem are good, then I, I feel like it's worth exploring something like this. Okay. I will I will leave that to others for the time being and I'll hop in once we have broken it. Thank oh, you for doing yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I tried to build a few artifact decks uh, with Stoneforge Mystic and without and stuff, and it's just like, I'm I'm too stupid for this. This is not my wheelhouse, you know? So I'm, I'm just going to stay in my lane and let other people handle it. Yeah, got to know where your favorite... You ever do any Stoneforge grabbing cranial plating shenanigans? That's kind of what I was looking at because the the majority of the article was just like, well, you Stoneforge for Batterskull and you Stoneforge for a sword and then... You just do normal stoneforge things. And it was like, well, this is not Mimi enough, you know? Like, so Basilisk Caller and Walking Ballista, is it Staticaster? That was the thing where I was like, okay, this is like kind of weird. And Cranial Plating was the other one where it's like, I think this is pretty bad, but people will probably want to see it, you know? And there was, there was like another good like 20 deck shells that I cut. And then the thing that my roommate was building with, because he kind of, is, is on the same path where he's just like, I want to do something with Stoneforge that other people aren't doing. He was using it to get Grafted War Gear as a sack outlet so he didn't have to play Black in Malira or whatever. <laughs> That's funny. I like that one a lot. Uh, yeah, stuff you can do. I think I want to focus on the PowerPoints of the format in the early weeks. And speaking of, here's a nice PowerPoint to be focusing on. It's time for our first Urza deck. What's been your impression of Urza thus far in this new format? I think it's busted. I I don't think that these lists are correct. And I think people are just playing a lot of nonsense cards. And I don't really know why. It's like splashing black for some thought seizes and some fatal pushes and a Nile spell bomb, I guess, when you really don't have to. So maybe the mana is quote unquote free, right? Like it costs you very little. So you might as well play these slight upgrades or whatever, but it's, it's just stuff like that where I'm, I I just don't think that these decks are very refined. And then there's things like, why is the Icar wellspring still in the deck when you swapped out goblin engineer for Stoneforge mystic? And you know, there's a lot of things. Yeah. So this was, I wrote over in the, what we'd play article on star city. Uh, where we all talk about what we would be registering, where we going to a tournament. I chose Urza, and I chose blue-white Urza, no splash, despite the fact, like you said, the splash seems almost free. I don't know why you need main deck removal. Like, just get your engine online and you are fine. You are not vulnerable to creatures attacking you. You will go get ensnaring bridge, or you'll have Stoneforge putting in batter skull, or you'll find some way to blunt that aggression while you move towards your inevitable end game presently i haven't seen a ton of reason to get away from blue white quite yet i would still be playing strictly blue white setup looking somewhat similar to this you remove the fatal pushes you remove the acre wellsprings i did not have karn karn was a card i really disliked in this archetype early on because it's just almost impossible to protect with the addition of stoneforge mystic i want to reevaluate that stance my first instinct seeing karn was like eh but now I think about it a little bit more, and I want to know if you just have good Karn setups, given that Stoneforge Mystic is able to provide 
early batter skulls in a lot of spots. On the whole, I'm starting without it, but I'm open to the idea that it might be correct in the future. So uh, I'm going to go through the what we play and find your list because I actually didn't look at it. But okay. when I was when I was building this deck, you, you just get to a certain point and you have some some open slots kind of at the end. And where I had a couple paths, you have a detention sphere, a sword of fire ice, a pithing needle. A I wouldn't have the sword anymore. I think that was a mistake. So. Yeah. Uh, a couple mind stones, which I think is completely fine. And then you have a sigh. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're basically on the same page. God, did we both play a gemstone caverns too? You have to. Oh my God. It's we're just so good sp- value. Dude, we're so smart. This is, right. this is why we worked well together, man. <laughs> Our love for gemstone caverns is what propels us to greatness. Yeah, it seems it seems like a very clear inclusion to me. I take advantage of the fact that my mana is so good, and I think a few other decks are just like, I mean, they're doing it with like a splash for fatal push, and I just don't see it as all that necessary. I'd rather just play another colorless land and get to leverage that a little bit. So this is my yeah. pick for the most broken archetype in the format as it stands right now. And I think this is a tremendous, tremendous week one choice. You're just doing all the best things and it feels really good. Yeah. I, I do worry that this is certainly one of those decks where if you get a card wrong, it's really bad. You know, anytime you have a tutor suite, right. Anytime you're able to search up a lot of your deck, you certainly want to make sure you nail your choices. And maybe that's something that still has to be figured out as we move through this format. Two Monastery Mentors here in the sideboard. I love that Monastery Mentor package. I went real hard, three copies. Dead of Winter out of the sideboard is like one of the appealing points of the snow package to me. Like having a reset is good. What do you need to Wrath though? I mean, humans, it's fine. I think it's generally acceptable. Right, but can't you just set up like, you know, Bridge plus Torpor Orb or something like that? Welding Jar, yeah. Torpor Orb is probably a card that should be in my deck and quite frankly is not right now. So maybe that's where my mistake lies. Yeah, Torpor Orb, uh, when I was testing humans like two PTs ago, that was that was the biggest thing. It was like, oh yeah, I made the mistake of like, you know, meddling maging some card, letting them have a work. So I was like, oh, they're just going to get Bridge and I'll deputy it or whatever. And then they got Torpor Orb and my deck just did nothing. So, yep. Yeah, completely shuts you down. Pretty incredible stuff. Anything anything else to say about Urzu? You good on that? I don't know. It's really good. And I, I, I had some people ask me uh, like what version they should play. And my response was just, please, dear God, do some testing and like try and figure it out because these lists are all very rough. So Yeah. Uh, another Urza deck that our Discord has been working on. Not going to spoil it. You want to check it out, you can head over to our Discord. Paradoxical Outcome Urza. That one is in the rough stages, but it is interesting. I'll say that. Yeah, it looks pretty bad. (laughs) You know, I'm out here trying to be a salesman, Jerry. I'm letting people know there's innovation going on in our Discord. And you're like, nope, garbage, don't bother. I mean, I can say that it's bad. People are still going to want to see what the list looks like, you know? Like, saying something is bad doesn't disqualify anyone from playing a deck. So I, I, I will agree with you that as it stands now, it's bad. There's a power point there, though. That's a very, very interesting paradoxical outcome, a potentially broken card. Urza, definitely a broken card. You mush it all together. There's something interesting going on, and it'll take some time to figure out the right shell. Yeah. All right. Next for real this time, Miguel Caster, green, white, hate bears with no hate. It's, just, is- green, it's just green, white bears now. This is one of the fairest takes I've ever seen on the modern format. This is not something I'm interested in, quite frankly. I mean, it's just like, here are my creatures. Hope they're good enough. I can kind of go late game. My Restoration Angels do a whole bunch. 
the only flickers that you're getting paid on are your renegade ralliers, eternal witnesses, and stoneforge mystic. Stoneforge mystic will run out of options at some point. Well, like this seems fine in a very very fair format. Well, that's why you play the third equipment, you see. So you never you run have out of to. options. Yeah, you. De- I mean, you definitely have to. I actually agree with the third equipment here. I just don't agree with taking this approach to Stoneforge Mystic right now. That's yeah, where I differ. These decks have a, a lot of slots where it's like Path to Exile, yes. Thalia, yes. Stoneforge Mystic, yes. Aether Vial, yes. And then you're like, uh... What now? Random three-drop creatures. Let's go. Yeah. And I, I think that there is a better way to go about that and actually, you know, instead of just jamming Flicker Wisp, look for better options, things that line up better in the format or are just better creatures or things that solve your problems, whatever. Yeah. Flicker Wisp without your like recruiters and cards like that loses some of its luster. I will say that. Also, you're not blinking 2020s. It's like, (laughs) it's not the same format, less hype on Flicker Wisp. Red and six still exists too. That's a pretty scary card to play into that. Yeah. Yeah. Next. Amnesia. Elvish Reclaimer, Flagstones of Trocare, we're done here. This, look, deck, this deck is gas. Look, I love that interaction. I think it's incredible. I long for the day when I can realistically use my Ranger Captain of Eos to go get an Elvish Reclaimer, activate the Elvish Reclaimer, cash in that Flagstones, ramp a little bit, go get a Maria the Sky Ruin, and just start things going from the graveyard. When that happens, I will be a happy person. It just seems so unrealistic, though. I mean, at least there's like the pressure point of Karn the Great Creator here. There's something that's kind of broken. So as far as this approach goes, I I like this deck. I actually think this deck is pretty interesting. Again, though, I just think like mid-rangey Knight of the Relicary stuff, we don't have Wasteland. And we can deny that fact all we want. But until these cards can go get something like Wasteland, some kind of meaningful land that actually has meaningful game impact which really only ameria does in this list and it takes a long long time before that does have that meaningful impact i I don't think you can do stuff like this we're still a land print off from having these strategies be successful yeah i kind of feel that way too i mean you're you're getting like a little bit of value with knight of the reliquary but it's really not accomplishing all that much and i definitely feel you there it's like oh you can get a creature land or get a horizon canopy or whatever, but just attack them for five. That's, that's probably what the card should be doing. Honestly. Yeah. I I think you're right. Yo, how much did the stock of winds of abandon go up? I've always thought the card was fine. I would have to think about why specifically it's stock has got, I mean, I guess we're doing all of this mid rangey creature nonsense on the battlefield now in that format. Yeah. Removal that scales, incredibly into the late game has a lot of appeal you still need to be getting to that late game of course and i'm still not a hundred percent sure that is happening with the regularity that these results would suggest keep in mind these are always flawed snapshots of a metagame and while we're seeing a billion stoneforge mystic things and it seems like all these decks are succeeding uh there's way more stoneforge mystic decks than anything else being played right now and we don't get a bunch of Tron lists. We'll get one Tron list. And so it seems like Tron isn't a big part of the format. But you talk to people who've been playing a bunch in the queues, a lot of Tron around, and you can understand why if this is what people are trying to do. Right. I'm, I'm just saying in the context of mid-range creature matchups. Oh, like, yeah. It's nice there. If if you are playing a creature mirror and one player has Winds of Abandon and the other doesn't, 
Like, I, I think it's just completely game-breaking, right? Like, Plague Wind, getting able to clear off their entire board, it just puts you so far ahead. And uh, it's also just a reasonable removal spell as, like, the fifth path of exile. So this was a card that showed up in a lot of my decks as kind of like this mid-range game-breaker for these creature mirrors. Yeah, if you played any Modern Horizons Limited, you know how frustrated you are against Winds of Abandon. It's just an absolute beating. And that remains true when you're playing this style of constructed magic. Oh, yeah. Uh, we can go up to the full four swords post-board in this deck, by the way. Uh, Fire and Ice, Light and Shadow, Sinnoh and Steel, War and Peace. Get them all. Just play all the swords. So many swords. Why? I am issuing a challenge right now. You I only want have someone, so many hands. I want someone to get a 5-0 every sword in your deck it's the all swords challenge take it succeed tweet at me let me know you did it don't waste your time please <laughs> next deck look at this deck getting some upgrades yeah more more myriads uh castle bravo with some martyr of sands action sarah ascendance no soul wardens i mean deck wraths generous gift i knew that card was going to show up at some point it's just a matter of time eight fake wastelands which is very necessary fair stuff again if if the format's fair this is very difficult to beat by just attacking with a bunch of dumb creatures you will eventually gain as much life as you need uh love two batter skulls here by the way i think this is something more decks need to look at in that sword slot where you're just jamming in random sword that doesn't do anything in game ones a lot of decks are actually just going to be interested in second batter skull i don't know how much we'll see people make that adjustment and start picking it up but I do like it here. Yeah, I don't think a lot of decks, but I don't know. There, There's a lot of diminishing returns on the second one, unless you are specifically banking on your opponent killing the first one, which came up a lot when Stoneforge was in standard. And I played two batter skulls or like sideboarded a second batter skull a decent amount of the time towards the end of the season, at least. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot more added utility to having a sword and batter skull on the battlefield than just two batter skulls. But Castle Bravo played three equipment, so they still get to do that. They get to split them if they want, but I'm also kind of interested in minimizing dead draws, and the equipment are pretty poor without Stoneforge Mystics, so I don't actually want to naturally draw them. This deck does a great job of leveraging Sword of Light and Shadow. You can see why it's oh, yeah. kind of indispensable in this deck. But here, you're just trying to stay alive. That's your entire goal. If you stay alive, you will eventually overwhelm your opponent, and I love Second Batter Skull in that scenario. Yeah, Misfield Planes, put back my Squadron Hawk, Light and Shadow my Squadron. And this deck is nonsense. But. You get to play Magic forever. Till yeah. the end of time, you will be casting your small white creatures. Yeah, that is actually what this deck is doing. Just playing mm-hmm. the maximum amount of Magic, but accomplishing very little. How about some Mono White now? This is almost strictly Death and Taxes poured over. Still have those Flicker Wisps, still doing the Ether Vial stuff. Only three Thalia, which I think is like one of two defensible cards in your deck. So that strikes me as insane. But you're seeing people experiment with these type of archetypes. Only Eldrazi Displacer for Eldrazi, I believe. Still have the four Eldrazi Temples. Yeah, and that kind of makes sense. Displacer is super powerful. And this deck will basically run out of gas and need things to do with its mana. So you see... uh, you know, a, a lot of utility lands and the displacers and displacer is very good against equipment mirrors. So that is very true. Yeah. Note that only two equipment here in this deck with 
the 11 blink effects to fo- possibly get rebuys on that Stoneforge Mystic. Even in those scenarios, Cheeson doesn't think it's worth it to overload on your swords in this deck. If you have Displacer and Stoneforge Mystic, I don't think you need to blink your Stoneforge Mystic to get the third piece of equipment to then you're have sa- more You're saying things. you're already okay at that you, point. Well, you, you have so much to do with your mana at that point. Like You can just equip things and then Displacer their stuff, Displacer your own things, whatever. Like You don't need the third piece. Just not drawing a card is fine. Do something else with your Displacer. Sounds good to me. Anything else you want to say about this deck? Arbiters in the sideboard, which I, th- I think is a completely fine take. Next. Yeah, Revoker's interesting too, I guess. It gets a little bit better with Stoneforge and equipment, but I still don't like it. Yeah, naming Stoneforge is like small ball answers and doesn't tend to last too long, but you've certainly done it if you've played any Legacy Death and Taxes. You know how this game plays out. Yeah, next deck is Burn, Force Smash to Smithereens. Hell yeah, that's a great card right now, obviously. Yeah, good pick up there for the Burn deck. Yeah, Searing Blaze, Searing Blood, also pretty nice. What do you think about playing Burn into a format where everyone has Batter Skull in their deck? I think that's fine because you should be able to punish them for playing a two toughness creature on turn two. Okay. We'll see if that plays out. I, I would not register burn this weekend. I think it's somewhat crazy to do so, but we'll see if people are able to find success with that setup. Searing blaze, searing blood, smash the smithereens. Stoneforge mystic. The card is not the issue. If the rest of their deck is good against Burn, or if they recognize that Burn is a bad matchup and are playing a bunch of core Firewalkers and stuff like that, then things are a little rough. And then there are also a lot of decks playing like Ranger Captain and Vios that can get Forge Tender. So it it might be, you know, the the metagame shifting more towards white cards that is a bad thing, but Stoneforge Mystic is never the card that's gonna beat you. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the next deck list here. This one's a little bit interesting. Looks like we're doing some Bant shenanigans now. Yeah, I, I typically like Collected Company in these decks instead, but it is very difficult to play any sort of Planeswalkers, Equipment, Path, Force of Negations and stuff. So it makes sense to just play without it. Uh, play a couple of Restoration Angels. I don't support Cryptic Command really at all, but here we are. The Bant creatures are all very good, like, Quaddle gives you a sort of Squadron Hawk-ish thing to go with your Stoneforge Mystics. You get Spell Queller and the like Blue Disruption, Blue Card Advantage, and White Removal plus Stoneforge is all really strong. Yeah, if this feels like the revised take of the deck we looked at earlier. Uh, a lot of the like weirdo one-offs like the Jace, the Teferi, I, I don't quite get. I think I just want to lean into the game plan that this deck does seem to do pretty well. Cryptic Command, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I really hate those setups. I just want four Spell Quellers before I want a Cryptic Command. And the question about Collected Company, I think, is interesting. There's so many good hits in this deck. It's just like, maybe you're incentivized to make it work. That's my take. Maybe you should find ways to make sure you're leveraging that card appropriately. Yeah, maybe. The, the one thing I will note about Cryptic Command is that this was a card that plays well uh, when you're doing things that are on the board. And back in the old Cobblade era, Stoneforge Mystic Mirrors, uh, you didn't really have access to this sort of thing. And normally it's just like someone sticks a Stoneforge, they start running away with the game, and uh, they have like a spell pierce to make it so you can't catch up. But if games ever do stalemate, this card is a complete breaker. So I sort of understand wanting to play something like this. I think Winds of Abandon kind of does the same thing. Obviously, Cryptic Command's a little bit more versatile, but... When, when I was building the 
like heavier control tempo leaning Stoneforge Mystic decks, just like, you know, old school cargo type of stuff. Uh, having two cryptic commands actually seemed reasonable to me. I was pretty happy with it, and I'm normally not very happy with that card. Let's see if it's finally time for cryptic command in modern. Next deck, Titan Shift. Just straight up Titan Shift. Nothing flashy. Big man is good. Yeah, like like this choice right now. I mean, this is a boring deck list, but I, I get it. I understand why you're incentivized to play this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's boring, but I think it's well built. Like, you have Anger of the Gods in the main deck for your anti-creature stuff, four Colony Heart Expedition, two Prismatic Omens, so you have, like, backdoor uh, combo kills, basically. You don't require drawing Primeval Titan or Scape Shift. And then the extra slots are just filled out with, like, Wood Elves, extra acceleration. So, yeah, this this deck knows what it wants to do, isn't too concerned with what other people are doing in the format. You would see this deck play, like, main deck Relic of Progenitus and stuff like that because they had to. And so, like, no, this, like, big man is good right now. I'll just build my deck as efficiently as possible. How about we scroll on down to the sideboard where you witness four Madcap Experiment to Platinum Imperion. It seems like a tough sell in a world where everyone is super incentivized to have Artifact Hate. You'll get them once. Yes. Yeah, that, that's the thing, right? Is you will board it in game two against Burn or whatever and beat them with it. And then they're just like, okay, I'll just board in my four smashes or paths or whatever. And then you have to side them back out again. Maybe that's fine. If you don't have a lot of other stuff you want to be doing with your graveyard, I, I don't hate it, but it just feels like you can find better uses for those slots if you work a little bit harder. Yeah, probably. I, I think that green-red actually has pretty good sideboard options. I was building basically this deck when Modern Horizons came out, and I wanted like 25 sideboard cards, but a lot of that had to do with graveyard decks being really pre- prevalent, so maybe it's a little better now and you don't need everything. But Yeah, I think we all wanted... 25 sideboard cards when I was around next deck a little stack based combo deck looks old deck looks time tested but this is just storm and it's gifts ungiven storm nothing really new nothing really flashy what do you think about how this deck is set up right now deck looks like it does not give a crap about equipment at all mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah you just you goldfish on turn four most of the time pretty consistently and you even have things like Remand to slow your opponent down. And uh, Stoneforge Mystic does mean that there's going to be like a lot of Thalias and things like that. So maybe you need to play a, a main deck way to actually remove a creature. And I think that that's pretty reasonable. But yeah, Storm Storm is completely fine. And it, it seems like the format is slowing down because of the looting ban. And now the mid-range creature decks are coming out and we haven't seen those for a very long time. And like you said, like stack-based combo, they can't really interact with it. These decks are typically a little bit faster. And if big mana is where people go to beat the Stoneforge decks, then this is a good answer to that as well. So potentially a really sick choice. Uh, Sideboard Aria Flame, big pickup for this deck, I think. Just a curveball that doesn't rely on the graveyard. Very, very meaningful out of the sideboard. And we never really got to see that come to fruition because obviously Modern Horizons brought with it Hogak and completely warped the metagame. But this deck got a lot of good positioning buffs. And uh, it's it's right there with like this and Twiddlestorm are all very reasonable options going into this week, I think. Yeah, I do wonder if there's a way to build a deck like this, you know, that... Plays a bunch of spells, a bunch of cantrips, uh, but just kills with Aria instead of doing, like, Baral into gifts, into these bad rituals. 
you know, it just seems like a lot of hoops to jump through when you can just cast Aria and cast a bunch of spells, but I'm not sure the best way to actually accomplish that is. Yeah, I've thought a bit about just pure Aria Storm, and it has appeal, but against some decks, I think you're just too vulnerable to their ability to interact with your Aria. If they don't have that, sure, it's easy mode, but you, you've you lost some of the edge of being completely stack-based by putting Aria in your deck, and I think there's you have to be situationally aware of when you want to do that, when you can afford to do that. Right. Uh, so as an owner of beta Twiddles, how do you feel about the twiddle storm versus this we'll get to talk about twiddle storm it sh- it shows up here okay and i'll save my thoughts for that point but obviously i am all for the twiddles and i have alpha and beta twiddles so. oh my apologies i'm so sorry right. don't get it twisted next deck stone blade classic looking stone blade build here i think this is where a bunch of people started uh with this deck in the format i like it i'm like okay with it i want spell queller in this list. I I just think it's such a good fit for this archetype. And the instinct is to do it like this because Spellcrawler didn't exist back then and we didn't have Teferi Time Raveler. But I I just think this deck gets markedly better if you put some Spellcrawlers in it. So you play turn two Stoneforge Mystic, right? Mm -hmm. And then on turn three, you play a land and pass the turn and you're threatening to vial in effectively a Batter Skull or an equipment or whatever. And then they play a spell, you get to spell Queller it, and then maybe Stoneforge in a sword and equip it, whatever. Spell Queller and Stoneforge Mystic have a ton of synergy because of the play patterns. You want to play some Teferi Time Ravelers anyway. That also works very well with your two cards, and you end up with this really nice tempo shell. So uh, Vendillion Click, fine. You know, I, it kind of like clears the way for you to actually connect with the sword and everything. I get it. I think that Spellqueller overall is just a much stronger card. The, the one major criticism I have of this deck list is for Snapcaster Mage when there aren't a lot of spells to actually snap back. Yeah, that's fair. Definitely a decreased number of, of cheap interactive spells. That's why we see the four opt for sure. That's playing that three mana role where you have an additional play that you can force in that situation. I do like opt here. Yeah, maybe you like trim a Snapcaster Mage, trim a Gideon Jura... You can get rid of the second equipment if you, or excuse me, the third equipment if you believe you can get by with just one sword. And now you have your spell callers in this deck, and I think you're kind of dealing with a beast in that scenario. Yeah, cut the Gideon Jura. I'm in. It's gone. Anything you want to say about the sideboard here? Uh, it seems reasonable. Uh, last... Monastery Mentor again. Yeah, Mentor. Mentor is pretty good if you're looking for an additional threat. Uh, Wraths in the sideboard make a lot of sense because game one, you're trying to play the board a little bit, but post board. Uh, there are some matchups like humans that just go wide and you actually need a, a catch-up mechanic. Uh, Celestial Purge is a card that used to be like a one-of, sometimes it would be a two-of if there's a lot of Death Shadow or Jund or whatever. In Hogak era and Phoenix era, people went up to three. Now I think that Purge is much less useful than it used to be. So I was mostly playing like zero or one copies. And then, yeah, there's like one disenchant, one stony silence. I think people just don't have enough good ways to kill equipment right now. That's That just seems like one of the constant things with these deck lists. Most of my decks started with two disenchant. I have a feeling that number could even creep up. Probably should look at some other options as well. But yeah, I it's, it's undervalued right now. Play more disenchants, get beta ones, get alpha ones. They're pretty dope, gotta say. <laughs> I keep putting nature's chant in my deck lists. And Brian keeps yelling at me. So Yeah, 
just absolutely disgusting. Get some disenchants in there. I'm just trying to educate. I think people, a lot of people don't know that that card exists. Maybe people correctly don't care that card exists because disenchant is out there. But what if... What nope. if Disenchant. Okay. Next, Next deck. Next deck. Blade. Splashing some lightning bolts. Goes a little bit better with the proactive nature of this sort of blue-white deck. So you get some bolts and some helixes. Helix kind of helps against burn. Like, you're fetching an extra shock land, so maybe it just evens out. But if you get to snap it, that's probably good. Bolt makes a lot of sense. I just don't think it's worth the splash. And you can accomplish basically everything else in blue-white. But I really do like wear tear out of the sideboard. That one's nice. Oh, wear tear is a nice one. What do you think about being able to take an aggressive stance here? Like, this is just a little bit more apt to end end a game early on than the blue-white list we've looked at. Does that matter to you at all in this format? I don't think the games come down to just bolting people. You know, like, Jeskai did the thing where it kind of controlled the board, dealt with what your opponent was doing, and then nickel and dimed him out with colonnades and snap bolts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And this deck with Stoneforge Mystic, you just snowball. Like, the games you win, you generally win really big, right? So... Using a lightning bolt to get in like the last three points of damage is not really that big of a deal because you're going to be at 30 life from Batter Skull or have a fistful of cards from Sword of Fire and Ice. Like, you're good. Okay. Yeah. Also, note there are no colonnades in this deck list. Yeah, so. I, I know. I know. I was just saying, you know, old Just Guy in general. But no, no. I, I mean, I, I think I'm referencing the fact that this is obviously a deck with a different game plan. It's not trying to do that chip damage stuff. So then you right. have to question do I need these red cards? Yeah, I think uh, Colonnade is pretty bad. The deck list above had three, and I, I just think that's sort of egregious. What do you think about Oriok Champion in the sideboard for decks like this? Something you'd consider at this point? Eh. I don't know. Like you don't have a lot of creatures. Burn doesn't have a lot of creatures. If you're trying to put equipment on this thing, I guess that's kind of fine. If your opponent can never kill your equipment, then sure. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Okay. Let's go to the next deck list. Ooh, we're up to some shenanigans here. Yeah, this one's wild. Liliana the Veil, Ren and Six, Bloodbraid Elf, but not Jund. No, this Ra- is like Raven's Crime, Life from the Loam. Seismic Assault. Yeah, this is this is weird. This is interesting. This feels like a deck from six years ago, seven years ago. Do you remember the GP that Loam won like forever ago? And there was like a five minute period where a bunch of people were playing Loam and then it completely disappeared. Like Seismic Assault, Loam. Yeah. Uh, it's been no, a long that, time since that, that was, was the case. That was GP Hoth in Lincoln, Nebraska. Right. I got that is correct. I got ninth with Blue White Tron. I remember that Blue White Tron deck. One of my favorite decks. Of oh all my time. god! My my that was that was like the only period where I had a deck that I could play in modern, and it was like my deck. Yeah. It was it was really bad, but yeah. Shh, don't tell them that. Remember, you got to do like unburial rights stuff. So many great things going on. Oh yeah, there's there's some unburial rights decks in my article too. But so I, what do we think about this? Ren and six, we we've added all these cycling lands. Like this is this was a legacy deck a long time ago, by the way. Now, granted, you had Mox Diamond, so that changed things quite a bit. But this basic setup existed in Legacy and did okay. I'm not I'm not going to say it did good, but you basically deny your opponent access to the game in its entirety. And there's a lot of powerful cards here. I'm just thinking about how this interacts with the format at large, and I, I'm not really sure where it fits in. I, I don't hate it. I think it's interesting. I think having all this discard gives you some game against these you know, resource accumulation decks, and 
I don't know. Maybe maybe that's enough. You still seem crushed by big mana if they like ever draw anything. You just die. But yeah, you have you have lone ghost quarter, and hopefully you try and lock them out that way. But then you're not making land drops and stuff. But right. I think the appeal to this deck is your opponent plays turn two Stoneforge Mystic. You play Seismic Assault, kill it. They can never get traction for the rest of the game. Like, what are they going to do? Stick a Planeswalker against your Seismic Assault? Are they going to get some small creature equipped with a thing against your Seismic Assault? It's just not going to happen. I want to play games with this deck. I, I don't want to make any judgments. I, I think there's something interesting happening here uh, that is only made possible by the addition of Renin 6 plus Cycling Lands to the format. This was underexplored. Like when you first saw Renin 6, I think this is where your brain went. Like, yeah. Something no, like this agreed. is what you wanted to explore. Hogak completely rendered that impossible, both in terms of how much graveyard hate was around so you couldn't do your thing and the fact that this just does not look good against something like Hogak whatsoever. You're just yeah. absolutely crushed. If the format is more fair... And combo tends to be of the resource-heavy nature. Something like this might actually have some promise. I think this deck merits some more exploration. I kind of agree. I think it's just going to end up being pretty bad, but it is sweet and has not been explored very much in modern. So someone should definitely push it to the limit. So at least we know, like you know, what tier this deck ends up in and what the best lists look like and what the matchups are like and stuff. So it could be a good metagame deck. Yeah. Check this one out in the future. Next deck. Oh, the Living End players have been waiting for this moment. Oh, yeah. The the focus shifts away from graveyards, and everyone says, I'm going to play on the battlefield now. Living End loves that circumstance. This might be like a sneaky OP choice. I will never, ever register Living End for a tournament ever again. I did it once. It was horrible and miserable. But I do accept that it is occasionally correct and respect to the people who are making that determination. Yeah, I've tested it for a few tournaments and it's like, oh, this looks so good. And then you just have, you know, the bad games where it sucks. But Fulminator Mage is certainly good against big mana. Living End is definitely good against Stoneforge Mystic. In a lot of the decks that I was building, it is worth noting that I was playing Graft Digger's Cage to also stop like Collected Company and Neoform and stuff like that. Obviously, it's a little bit worse against Dredge if they have shenanigans, but mm-hmm. you know, it's it's cheaper. Uh, I guess people have more artifact hate too in general. I'm not sure if that actually applies to the graveyard decks or not, but you know, if you're playing a Stoneforge deck, you board in Cage, and they're playing a Stoneforge deck with Company, and they bring in a bunch of Knight of Autumns, then I guess it doesn't really work out. So. Maybe Cage isn't right, but realistically, I think a lot of people are going to have Cage as their graveyard hate, which does nothing against this deck. People going off in the chat right now, but all the cards that Living End can't beat, obviously. I mean, this this is why I'm not playing the deck. Like, you can't beat a Teferi. You can't beat uh, Meddling Mage Living End. There's all these problematic things. And this is why you see the three beasts within in the deck. You're trying to pick that stuff off. But my experience playing Living End is that you only play against those cards. Every single round, you'll be paired against Meddling Mage, you'll be paired against Teferi, you can never win. The theoretical world that exists where you can like control the battlefield just doesn't happen, and you sit there and die, and you're like, here's my 4 mana 5-5, five, five. is that good enough? And the answer is no, it's yeah. never good enough. Yeah, I, it's not even about me playing against like, Teferis and stuff like that, it's just my, my deck doesn't work. You know, like I don't draw enough cycling creatures, or I cycle a bunch and just draw a bunch of lands and not the Cascade thing, or I draw all the living ends, and it's like, what? What is going on? This isn't even a deck. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, I'm also right there with Logger Time. Logger. Next. Low Gary Time. I I don't know what this name is, but playing three Nexus of Fate, four Wilderness Reclamation, four Utopia Sprawl, Sphinx's Revelation. Your deck is 
utter nonsense. I love every single thing about it. Fantastic work. I'm happy you made it to this 5-0 deck dump. I don't think I'll see you here again, but I'm very glad your 61 card <laughs> Nexus of Fate deck has made its way into our hearts today. No, this deck has showed up a few times already, like a lot of Utopia Sprawl Reclamation decks. Uh, this one specifically, like Cryptic Command, Factor Fiction, just mono four drops, I've I've seen a few times. And what are your thoughts on it, Gerald? Oh, it's awful. It's so bad, but... <laughs> just awful. No, it's it's got some sweet cards. Uh, shout out to Miko Koro, Center of the Sea, one of my favorite cards of all time. Yeah. We brightened my day a little bit with this deck list, I will say that. But I'm not playing it. Next, let's get to some more ramp stuff. Looks like we're doing the Bring to Light Scape Shift stuff here. What do you think about that deck in the format? Seems like it was picking up traction for a little while before Hogak completely obscured everything. Is this worth going back to at this point? Uh, Teferi's a nice pickup. Ice Fang Quaddle helps a decent amount. And this is one of the places that you could play Stoneforge Mystic, potentially, especially as, like, a sideboard juke. Or, like, you play two main with a batter skull and then sideboard two and a sword or a second batter skull or something. Mm -hmm. The mana is not easy for that because you play very few white sources and a lot of your white sources are coming from... Uh, like Search for Tomorrow or Sacro Tribelder, so you basically don't even turn to Stoneforge Mystic a lot of the time. So it was really tough for me to actually build that mana base when I was trying to figure out like what that sort of deck would look like, but uh, it is a potential home. Other than that, I, I think this is fine. Any sort of big mana deck is good. Depends on how much disruption the Stoneforge decks actually end up packing. Things like Spell Queller are okay, but if you go to Scapeshift with seven or eight mana and they try and spell Queller, it's like you can just kill it and everything is fine. So uh, I, I do like this deck. I think it is probably decent, like Dece Plus, but maybe worse than Green Red, just in general, like a worse deck. Okay. I love this deck. I love all the cards, but I, I, I don't think there's a lot of merit to just having this utility package with bring the light rather than just trying to kill people basically so you would streamline things a little bit more just have the good stuff get rid of the hunting wilds and things like that no i mean once once you're saying like i'm gonna play bring the light in my scapeshift deck like you should play a lot of these bullets i just don't think you should play bring the light i think you should play primeval titan okay makes sense to me i'm always down to play primeval titan you know that next we're going to holy divers list this is a beautiful one, as it often is when we get to Holy Divers list. Uh, we're doing some rug shenanigans here. Hex Drinker. <laughs> Card you love more than anything. Yeah, I I don't really like it. Uh, certainly alongside Delver. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I like Daniela's suite of spells. I like the Miser Simic Charm. I like the, the Vapor Snags. Kind of curious to know if Things like Tarmogoyf and Hexdrinker that are just like good solid threats is actually a better game plan than, you know, Kiln Fiend, Team or Battle Rage and the stuff that uh, Daniela has mostly been doing in the past. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, early creatures, uh, Disrupting Troll, Force Negation to protect them, Raid, Vapor Snag to beat up on equipment. You have Ren and Six as this, you know, helpful little grindy thing. I think this is decent. Yeah, I wish that our Delvers were a little bit better. That's one of my big complaints with every Delver deck, basically. I, I keep making that complaint. Yeah, 25 uh, and, is low, and Ren and 6 cuts into that a little bit, which stinks. 
in my article, I advocated for them unbanding Ponder so you could empower these Delver decks and actually make the format more about this type of thing because I think it's beneficial to have this stuff around. And I think that's actually a cleaner way of answering the problem of how do we make things more about the battlefield than Stoneforge is because I still think Stoneforge can be outscaled very cleanly. And I think at some point, the metagame will have to rotate to account for Stoneforge and will do so in ways that are, I guess in line with modern's historical problems. Yeah. So things will be linear at some point. That's how you respond to Stoneforge. I think Delver is harder to respond to in that fashion. And I'd like to see these decks powered up a little bit, but maybe it's just about building them right. And we'll have to see if a build like this is the first steps on doing so. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I advocated for in my article is that if the final evolution of Stoneforge Mystic is a good tempo deck, I think that that is potentially problematic because it makes it very unlikely for the format to shift. Because if you have a tempo deck that can kind of sideboard into a control deck, you're going to beat like the smaller aggressive creature decks. And if you have a tempo deck with good disruption, you're going to beat a lot of the linear decks too. And tempo decks just end up kind of being OP when they have all of their tools. And right now it sort of looks like they do. We'll have to see how that all shakes out. Let's move to another deck, Affinity. Classic affinity. Almost nothing interesting going on with this list. It's just affinity. No, there's there's a batter skull in Stoneforge Mystics. Like they uh, okay. Yeah, we made we made you know what? I've now taken that change for granted. That doesn't even register with me as something interesting anymore. Yeah, That's how many Stoneforge decks there they're are. They're in there. Uh I, I really do like Experimental Frenzy and or Mystic Forge in these decks. Stoneforge Mystic gives you a little bit of more staying power, so uh, maybe that's fine, but if I were trying to build an affinity deck, I think I would try to build around one of those two cards. I remember a point in time where like affinity decks would look to splash Tarmogoyf just to have a non-artifact threat, something on the battlefield. It feels like Stoneforge Batterskull does a much better job of that. And here's that cranial plating synergy we talked about. Often the best card in affinity, you're finding it much more reliably here. Again, if artifacts are the chief concern of everyone presently, not likely to pick up affinity, but... We'll see how that shakes out. Yeah, I mean, Affinity is trying to play plating and equip it on turn two. And if you take a turn off, that really hurts. And I don't think adding Stoneforge to try and grind a little bit better or have access to more platings really helps you all that much because Affinity is all about the clock, or at least it should be. Next list looks like it's time for some more Eldrazi shenanigans. And this is of the green-white variety. Is this is this Ryan's list? Yeah, I mean, I... I Thought that they were similar or at least the same. I'm not sure. I am not sure either, but I'm, I'm I, looking I'm, now. I like how clean this list is. It feels very, very straightforward, just doing the most powerful things at all points. Yeah, this this is the same thing. Okay. Karn setups behind Stoneforge Mystic, I think, have gotten much better. Like I said, I was getting low on the card. Stoneforge might actually rejuvenate it, and it'll be interesting to see if that proves to be true. But this card has some power behind. This deck has some power behind it, I should say. Does does Karn and Stoneforge actually work well together? Like, it seems like they're kind of diverging game plans. I think just in general, having a threat that your opponent has to respond to in the early turns disincentivizes their own progression of the battlefield, and those are the scenarios under which you actually have time to utilize Karn. If they're just doing their battlefield stuff across the first three turns, ignoring what you're doing it becomes very challenging to successfully set up a wall that Karn can operate behind. Now, if they try and do that and ignore you and you just get to play your Stoneforge, put in your Batter Skull, 
that seems totally fine to me. And then you can readjust your game plan to leverage things like your reality smashers and thought not seers as the game goes on. So I think it puts them in a very difficult squeeze when you have Stoneforge and Karn together. I mean, obviously you get some amount of utility from having the one-sided stony silence too, if you are playing equipment mirrors. So that's sort of interesting, but I don't know. It just seems weird to be like, oh, Stoneforge, make an equipment, make my creature bigger. And then you're just like, oh, let's start digging in my sideboard or whatever. (laughs) See what options are there. Uh, Yeah, I understand what you're saying. We'll we'll see if this becomes a part of the metagame, but... Like I said, I am emphasizing cleanliness and linearity right now. If I'm on the battlefield, this seems like a pretty good way to be doing so. You're just consistently setting up those early Eldrazi, ancient stirrings, finding some good targets here. So I'm into this decklist. I think this is quite good. Yeah, a lot of powerful cards. Next, what if I told you, Jerry, you could play Living End, but with even worse cards? Would you be excited? No, this, this deck is actually good. Uh, I, I think this is Warren also. Uh, okay. But I, I tested this deck, I think, two PTs ago, and I was pretty happy with it. I, I think it was really close, actually. How does this answer the same problems that Living End historically has had? Is it just like you can play reasonable creatures and be happy with them? Is that really what you're getting here? Because you have actual magic cards, right? Like, you know... Some. So... Remand is a charm cryptic command is is what this deck is playing, right? But you can certainly do other things. Like you can play some amount of lightning bolts. If remand is bad, you can play some other sort of interaction. Force of negation is another card that you can play if you're worried about stack-based stuff. Engineered explosives to go with the TOS. Like you can basically customize this deck as much as you want, which normal living end does not really have the option of doing. As foretold, Electrodominance combined with Living End allows you to sweep the board, put in a, a bunch of giant cycling monsters. Windcaller Aven is a pretty big upgrade from what you had before. And now you just have like a, a bunch of flying things and things that are just enormous. So uh, Living End will typically end the game, but you also get to play like a longer game where if you have to Living End multiple times, you can also do that. And when those games happened, uh, I often wanted access to like a Tormont's Crypt to get rid of my opponent's graveyard, and that came up a lot of times against humans. But I would be fine with a Tormont's Crypt main, maybe some different forms of interaction depending on what you expect to play against, but this deck is a lot better than than people think. Next deck, Monored Prison, some interesting card choices, uh, Forked Bolt, some Chandra's, Grim Lavamancer, Magus of the Moon. There's it's like not a Chalice deck and only very lightly a, a Blood Moon deck. So I guess it's not even like a prison deck. It's just Mono Red Ritual Beatdown. Yes, this, this is not prison. This is weirdo red cards and therefore I do not like it and do not understand what we're trying to accomplish here. Yeah, you, you ritual out some three mana threat. Uh, I would much rather just focus on chalicing or Blood Mooning people and hoping that's good enough. Right. If if I'm doing this, I need a three mana threat that matters. So like if you're going to Trinisphere in some instances, or you're going to Blood Moon and completely lock your opponent out of the game, that's fine. But like three mana threat, here's my Legion War Boss, here's my Goblin Rabble Master. Those are backup plans in typical mono red prison decks. That feels like the main plan here and uh, not generally something I'm interested in. Yeah, pretty strange. How about another burn deck? Anything to say about this particular take with Seal of Fire and then... Basically a mono red list 
taking full advantage of our Horizon Lands for Fiery Islet for Sunbed Canyon. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like the, the power level that you lose by playing Mono Red versus Boros or uh, Mardu, like one of the ones above. I don't know. You have Fanatical Firebrand, Seal of Fire. These cards are just so much weaker than things like Boros Charm to the point where you either need a consistent source of damage to get them to tw- from 20 to 0, or you just need to draw a lot more spells on average, which I guess the 8 Horizon Lands help with, but then it just takes a long longer amount of time because you have to spend a bunch of mana to cash in these lands and stuff. So I don't know, but Boros just seems a lot stronger to me because this just opens you up to having a lot of problems. And I don't know. I, I think if you're going to do something like this, where you're like, I want to play mono red for X reason, you should probably cut the seal of fires for more creatures and not be like a straight burn deck. Just actually be this, you know, aggressive creature deck. I bet there's some tension here too with Shard Volley and eight of your lands that you want to cash in. Like, there's games you certainly don't have enough mana with this deck, which is an awkward thing to say about a deck that has all one, two drops, but I have a feeling that comes up from time to time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think all the Shard Volleys are just like a Caravex spite kind of thing where you just sack all your lands at the end to kill your opponent and Hopefully. it's fine. But yeah, if you have. Guess if you have like three lands and one is a horizon land and you have all three shard volleys and I don't know it's it's probably fine regardless. I'm sure there are situations where it messes you up. I'm more worried about the amount of mana it takes to use all that stuff. I agree with you. Let's move on to the next deck, Chaos of Mind, more Stone Fortune shenanigans. This time with Squadron Hawk, first Squadron Hawk appearance I've seen in a very, very long time. Yeah, Force of Virtue. Uh, this mm-hmm. is this is a, a very nice combo, and if you are looking to get on the battlefield and actually like win in creature combat, make blocking bad for your opponent, this is a pretty reasonable way to do it. I mean, the equipment tends to trump an Anthem a lot of the time, but... I still think that this is a fine backup plan and gives your cards a little bit more power if you don't happen to draw Stone Forge Mystic. People doing very similar stuff in Legacy right now. I'm not saying they're finding success, but I've seen this basic exact same setup there. So it has some power level pedigree, I would say. The mana base is interesting. Four Field of Ruin, four Mutavault, I think is worth drawing attention to. Mutavault's, some- Mutavault's good with equipment. Yeah, there's something to be said about a deck that can actually play Mutavault, which is not something we really see in the modern format all that often. It's certainly a modern power level card. Yeah, this deck needs the format to be about certain things. If it's about those things, I think this will do a really nice job of exploiting that. Yeah, this this is another deck that is just kind of jamming Flicker Wisp for reasons, I guess. And I'm not a huge fan, but I don't know. Just give me more Ranger Captains. At least we can blink a Thraben Inspector here. That's my kind of magic, and that's the first time I've seen the ability to do that. So that's that's how you get a point for me, is let me blink my Thraben Inspector. Uh, it's such a weirdo backdoor, because there's only one, and you need to Ranger Captain for it, and at that point you should probably just flicker the, Ranger, the Ranger Captain. Captain. Yeah, I and understand. You have Field of Rune and Mutavault and Horizon Lands. A lot of stuff to use your mana on, for sure. Mm-hmm. Squadron Hawk, too. Yeah, well, that's a good thing for this deck to have access to. Uh, mono White Sideboard, kind of medium has reasonable answers to things, but not great answers, and also just zero disenchants, so can't kill an equipment, can only revoker it, I guess. Yeah, it looks like the plan is revoker pithy needle, which is like, okay, I mean, there's there's a lot of removal here. There's on thin ice, there's path to exile. You can pretty reliably answer the first germ, but 
then you're vulnerable to opposing removal, which is excellent against you because you are a creature-based deck. So I don't know. I don't know if I want to go all in on that as my plan for dealing with opposing equipment. Yeah, chat's pointing out that like Vile Flicker Wisp is reasonable against equipment, and I guess that's true. Well, uh, assuming it's not protection from white, I guess you still unequip in that fashion. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's fine. Maybe that's a totally fine approach. All right, next up we have an Abzan deck, and this one's weird. Uh, I, I tried to go down the rabbit hole building Abzan decks and mostly just stuck to normal Tarmogoyf stuff. This one is Noble Hierarch, Dark Confidant, Stoneforge Mystic, Giver of Runes, but then has, you know, the discard, the spot removal, Liliana of the Veils, uh, Lingering Souls. So just a, a very interesting creature suite in this one. Very interesting, and I, I guess, like, the appeal of this is... It's got to be Giver of Rune Stoneforge Mystic, and being able to protect your Dark Confidant seems fine, but giving up like Renin Six and Lightning Bolt and just those cards to get access to this package is a big question mark for me. I mean, Stoneforge is obviously the, the key draw, but we're only playing three copies, which strikes me as a little strange. Like, if we've gone down this route, I probably want to maximize the Stoneforge Mystics. I don't think Lingering Souls is a modern playable card for the most part. I think there's just not enough value there. And there's going to be some blocking, given that we're on the battlefield more. But I think if you've gone down this route, you want to set up yourself to fight that means of interaction in different ways. Like you have Abrupt Decay, you have Assassin's Trophy. Take control of the Equipment Wars in that fashion. Don't rely on having a really wide battlefield to do so. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons to be Abzan in general. Like you get Stoneforge and you get things like Assassin's Trophy, Abrupt Decay, so... This is probably one of the archetypes that is able to shrug off the equipment war pretty easily. And maybe Mardu is like the other one. But looking at all these decks that are like mono white or blue white, and if you have an equipment, it just kind of sticks. Yeah, I think that's correct. Anything else you want to say about the sideboard here? Random Abzan cards. Yeah, at least we do have... Well, hold on, I'm going to check myself. We have the Fulminator Mages. We don't have the Sword of Light and Shadow. What are we doing? Like, you have a reasonable plan staring you in the face. Please take advantage of it. I mean, to be fair, that that plan is super mana-intensive and very unlikely to actually get there. Like, I, 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 I disagree. I think that plan is completely feasible. The first Fulminator Mage buys you enough time to set up the combination of light and shadow and something buy it back like you just need windows and the problem is you make those windows as a jun deck with your fulminator mage and you get one extra turn two extra turns and then the window is slammed shut by some giant card now in that one two extra turns what you're doing is setting up light and shadow and getting a rebuy on that same reprieve and at that point the game is basically locked you only need to really find the first connection with light and shadow to snowball things very far in your favor. So I, I think that setup's completely defensible against something like Tron. I think it's defensible, and I would play Light and Shadow just because it's good, and I would certainly put those cards in my deck against Tron. But even if you go, like, one-drop Stoneforge, Fulminator you, you probably have to be on the play. And then turn four, you can Violent Sword, equip it to your one-drop, and hit them, and get back the Fulminator. And if they don't immediately assemble Tron on that turn and play a big thing, then you're good. But that that is a lot of stuff. I guess we have hierarchy here to accelerate the whole thing, but I understand what you're saying. That's generally not the world we're living in. Yeah. I So yes, do it, but it's not a thing that like actually helps your Tron matchup to the point where it's like, I got light and shadow. You can't beat me. Sure. I, I'm not trying to go that far. I just think if you have access, access to these cards, you should certainly have it in your deck. Yeah. Light and shadow is just good anyway. So do that. 
Uh, next up, we have uh, Bant Blink Deck, which I believe was uh, popularized by Saffron Olive, maybe even created by Saffron Olive. And I don't know. This this deck is doing well. It's day two in GPs. It's beating up some people. Uh, I think Stoneforge Mystic is another pretty reasonable place. Uh, or uh, This is a reasonable place for Stoneforge Mystic, so I don't really know what's going on there. Yeah, why don't we pick that one up? It just seems, I, I don't know, maybe this deck has some inertia at this point, and people don't really want to move past what's been doing well thus far. Uh, yeah, but seems like a clean pickup to me and a, a solid B plan for this deck that is starting to seem reasonable. I mean, I love all these cards together. It's pretty exciting if this is a real thing you can do in modern. I am somewhat skeptical. You know, Nasif, an incredible player doing very well with it, points to Nasif being an incredible player, but yeah, uh, and uh, also some unfamiliarity as well. Chat is saying that Nasif made the deck and that Stoneforge was bad. Okay. If that's what chat says, it must be true. And I will accept that you can't play Stoneforge Mystic in this deck for reasons. No, I mean, if if your game plan is to just accumulate a bunch of value and, like, kill your opponent's stuff and time warp, like, yeah, you don't really need Stoneforge Mystic for all that stuff. But, like we were saying earlier, Stoneforge Mystic is the kind of card that it just, like, does everything on its own, right? Like if you stoneforge into batter skull, if your opponent is able to stop your engine somehow or whatever, it's just like it puts the onus on them to kill the stoneforge immediately. And then if they don't, or if they do kill your stoneforge and you're still doing like your valuey thing, but they're killing your creatures, like you have equipment that makes every single creature a huge threat. So maybe it's more of like a sideboard strat in a deck like this. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. Interesting way to approach it. Next deck, time for some Niv-Mizzet shenanigans. We're still doing this, I guess. This is still a thing that we want to get up to. It's still doing okay. I don't know. You get a bunch of random gold cards. Uh, this deck gets to play Kolagon's Command, and we haven't seen a lot of that yet. And if people are doing, I don't know, slow, mid-rangey creature stuff, this deck kind of just goes over the top of them, so maybe it's good. Yeah, uh, the deck without... One drops basically <laughs> in the modern format is a hard pill for me to swallow. I guess we have same. Astrolabe. That's not fair. Yeah, I mean that that just sets you up to be able to cast your spells, right? That doesn't actually accomplish anything. Right. I've I've seen versions of this deck with uh, Birds of Paradise and stuff. Uh, this one plays Search for Tomorrow, which I also think is fine. Maybe Sylvan Caryatid is actually the best one uh, because it doesn't die. But I don't know. These decks are weird. Oh, they are very very weird. For sure. Keep doing it if it's your thing. People seem to love that approach. Here comes a little black-white mid-range. Yeah, more compact creature package. Dark Confidant, Stoneforge Mystic, Tide Hollow Sculler. I like uh, that. Yeah, a lot of Jundi stuff with uh, removal, discard, some equipment for Liliana, 24 land, decent amount of Field of Ruins. One of the very few two batter skull decks, which I think is fine in this deck, and some lingering souls to combo with Liliana and the equipment. I think that's fine. Yeah, this seems entirely reasonable, unexciting, 45% magic across the board. If that's what you want to sign up for, I think this is probably a fine choice to do that stuff. I am, again, angry about the sort of Light and Shadow not being here, but we will move on from that and go to the next list. Looks like we're getting up to snow shenanigans one more time. You see Arkham's Astrolabe making another appearance. 
Yeah, so sort of blue-white control, splashing Quaddle off of Astrolabe, and also has a Thrag Tusk. I don't know why we're doing any of those things. They don't seem all that appealing to me. Those are like fine cards. I don't hate them, but I just don't see how this makes blue-white control something I need to respect more, play more, and I'm just not sold. I mean, you have, you'd have to tell me a reason why this is the thing we want to do. I like this approach in a humans-infested format. Okay. I would not say we are in that format presently. No, no. And I think that Ice Fang Quaddle with equipment is good, but Ice Fang Quaddle against equipment is not very good. Good way of looking at it. Okay, let's go to the next list. Time for the most boring deck on the planet, but definitely in my top tier of choices for this weekend. I think Tron is going to have a very, very big weekend. And... I think people are sleeping a little bit. I think people don't want it to be true, so they're not acknowledging the fact. But Tron just ignores all this nonsense. It's not interested in your silly Stoneforge Mystic games. It's still one of the best decks. It was untouched by bands. Ancient Stirring still a format pillar. We forgot about it for a moment while we were doing all these Hogash shenanigans. But Tron seems like an incredible choice going into Dallas this weekend. Yeah, it's really good. I, I completely understand wanting to play with the shiny new toys, but... At the very least, you're going to have three months to play with Stoneforge Mystic. And if you want to play, you know, some weirdo White Weenie deck or Jeskai deck or Bring to Light Scapeshift or whatever, play that at your local tournament. If you're going to Dallas uh, this weekend or there's an MCQ or whatever, Tron is probably the best deck that you could possibly play. I do think that Urza has the highest ceiling, right? But... Tron is probably just the best no-nonsense thing that you could be doing. Yeah, I like the... If if it's an agreement that Urza is like a very high-ceiling deck, then I like the fact that Tron ignores a lot of that. And I expect these two decks to be filtered towards the top as the tournament goes on. There'll be a lot of new stuff going on. I, I just think as we get late into the tournament, though, Tron, Urza are really going to become the focal point. Uh, Veil of Summer, new pickup for the Tron decks, really hasn't been all that explored because of the omnipresence of Hogak. So we haven't had time to unpack all that stuff. But it is an upgrade, and Tron was not a deck that needed any upgrades whatsoever. Yeah, not really. So that's a shame. Next, Swans, a Bryn Argyle. If you've been around the game for as long as we have, you remember several different approaches to Swans. Throws of Chaos is a card that it was in Modern Horizons. I looked at it and I said, I don't know if you know how I arrange my cards, but basically I have a binder of each color for modern playable cards. I sort them by converted mana cost. And if I think something is potentially playable in modern, it is in that binder. And I looked at throws and I said, I have no idea where I will ever use this card, but it just feels like it has to be in there. I put it in and I guess this is my time. Now I get to unpack it, play 41 lands and go to town with swans. Yeah. I don't know. That struck me as like maybe a, a living end card or something. I don't know. Well, now we know it's a Swans card. Any interest in doing this, Gerald? Does this excite you in any way at all? I recorded a video with a treasure hunt deck just kind of as a meme or whatever. And this seems about the same thing. Like 41 land, Swans, various seismic assaults and things that like draw cards and find them. I, I don't know. This deck just... If you manage to do your thing and they don't disrupt you at all, then you're probably doing some powerful stuff. But uh, this is exactly the type of deck that most modern decks prey on. Mm -hmm. 
And I believe, yeah, looking at this list before, I was like, obviously there are four Cascade Bluffs in this deck, and there just aren't. <laughs> Why bother? Just none. Uh, you have like yeah. Molten Vortex and want as many red mana symbols as possible. Same thing with Seismic Assault, and instead you're playing five Island and four Lonely Sandbars. Like, eh. Questionable. Uh, but I, in fairness, I don't think all the right decisions was going to save this archetype. Uh, Swans when Path to Exile is the removal spell on the uptick. Not exactly what I want to be doing. Yeah, I mean, to be, to be fair, you can set up situations where you just kill them in response to a removal spell. It's not that hard, but... You can. It's, it's possible. We saw it in Standard. We saw it in Old Extended. It basic, Swans had a shot in basically every format short of Legacy and Vintage at some point. Although I'm sure someone has done it there. Uh, and sometimes it was good enough. It's definitely won tournaments in the past. It surprised people out of nowhere in a Standard metagame a few years ago. But don't play this deck this weekend. Abzan Company is our next deck. Carrion Feeder as the one-mana sacrifice outlet, which eh, I like a decent amount. Also have Giver of Runes to protect your things. Uh, Plague Engineer as a new bullet. Ranger Captain of Eos to help set things up. I, I think this deck is exactly medium. Probably medium minus, actually. Ooh, I was with you till medium, medium minus. I can't play this deck anymore. I'll have to pass on it, uh, which is a shame because I love this archetype back since the birthing pod days i want it to keep getting better it keeps getting small upgrades but you're right it just doesn't feel like it's quite there any interest in stoneforge here should they just be jamming it i mean that's been the theme of the podcast so we got to stick with it you just play stoneforge in abzan company yeah duh okay next near death uh abzan normal abzan tarmogoyfs oozes stoneforge plague engineer liliana equipment souls etc yeah, much closer to what you would expect from the typical mid-range Abzan approach. Any love for this style of deck right now? Uh, also medium minus. Okay, we don't need to spend much time on it. I, Next. So the green-black cards are good. I just don't know exactly what you're supposed to be doing with them. I think just Jund is probably better playing Kologon's Command and Blibrid. Yeah, tr Trophy Decay is like cool. I, I think those are two cards I'm pretty interested in as it stands right now. Uh, I want to find better shells for them. Yeah. Next up, Infect Normal, I guess. Yeah, don't see anything particularly exciting. Uh, I know there's been some discussion about Stoneforge Mystic maybe making its way into this deck. No, surprise, surprise. No. It's, Not interested? It's the same thing as Affinity, right? Where Affinity just wants to like naturally draw the plating and just jam it. And Infect is also just trying to, like, pressure you a little bit. Maybe you take your shields down, and then they go for the kill, uh, or just set up an unbeatable kill. And Stoneforge doesn't really fit into any of that, unless you wanted just an additional threat in your sideboard. But normally when Infect would sideboard, like Tarmogoy for Kitchen Finks or Geist or whatever, it was mainly to just fight things like Burn, you know? And Stoneforge is just very bad against Burn. What do you think about this deck in general, how it's positioned right now. I mean, it's it's dodging some of the mire, uh, doesn't care about life gain, obviously. And we've kind of come and gone with this deck being reasonable. Like we said during the Hogak meta, it seemed to do a good job targeting that deck and not beating much else. Does that stand presently? Is it still having a hard time against other matchups? If the format is all about Stoneforge Mystic, and the way that people answer Stoneforge Mystic is playing a lot of early removal, then I think that that could potentially end up being poor for Infect. 
But if people's removal is just like four paths to exile, that's awesome. And if people start playing Tron and stuff like that to beat the Stoneforge decks, then Infect is a potential foil of that too. So I don't think we're quite there yet, but this is this is like a maybe next week deck. Could be okay. good. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Next deck. Hex Drinker. This, this one's actually okay because uh, it's banned company and you company into Ranger Captain of Eos to get the one copy of Hex Drinker. That is a package I support. Defensible. Defensible use for the Hex Drinker. Spell Queller deck. No Teferi here. Could this deck be playing Teferi? Should this deck be playing Teferi? Uh, it certainly could. Bant has a lot of really good three drops, and obviously you need to max creatures uh, for Collected Company. The, right. th- the third equipment kind of pushes into those slots, as does playing all four Path to Exiles. And I don't really think you need to do that when you have like Quaddle and Deputy to handle creatures and things that are on the battlefield. So... I think that you can shave down those a little bit and maybe get some slots for Teferi or just some additional creatures if you wanted them. Quaddle not super likely to have Death Touch in this list. I'll just point that out. It takes a little bit of setup. Not going to be online early in most scenarios if you want to get duels. So I, I just think that's worth noting. I'm not saying pass on Quaddle. I think it's still a powerful inclusion in the archetype, but it, it is a little little bit of pause given to me there. Uh, I like your approach. Getting some Teferis into this list seems promising to me. You have four Spell Queller, and Teferi is just good. It just it answers almost any sort of problematic permanent. It's pretty good when you're trying to connect with a piece of equipment because you know that their shields are down every single time. Teferi is nice. I think this is our first sideboard Manriki Gusari we've come across. And if you missed last week's podcast, I relayed the story that I have played Manriki Gusari many, many times, going back years and years into Legacy. I, I can't even count how many deck lists I have registered a Manriki Gusari in. I've never destroyed a piece of equipment with it. I know that authoritatively. I've never found a spot where I got to activate it and killed equipment. So uh, card sucks. Don't play it. I, I think this is the second one. And the, the reason that it's typically pretty bad is that if you play a stone forge you you want to just proactively get your batter skull or your sword you do something yeah right and if they play a stone forge and then you play a stone forge you get manriki but they can just like you know violin batter skull and uh if you play manriki then they can just do something else and they don't have to play the batter skull they can just kill your creature in response then violin batter skull like it it's just way too risky. It puts you behind. And then even uh, at the end of the exchange where it's like, if you, you know, both kill each other, stone forges or whatever, you just have this stupid Manriki Gusari and they have a batter skull in hand or a sword. Just get good cards instead. That's it. I also like good cards. I'm right there with you. Uh, next up, some Bogles. Uh, no stone forges, no new cards. Hate it. Next. I also don't think Stone... <laughs> I have nothing to say. I yeah. mean, I think it does a decent job of avoiding the mire again, but there's better ways to do so. And I don't even think Stoneforge is good in that deck anyway, so... Agreed. White, Black, Pox, Hakan. Sure? Hakan is a cool, cool magic card. I always want it to be good. It feels like it never is. Where's the nameless inversion to go along with Hakan? You don't want to get that value? No, it's in there. It's under the lands. Oh, uh, okay. Tribal Instant, of course, all the way at right. the bottom. Thank you very much. I mean, I guess if I'm going to ask anything about this deck, it's like smallpox question mark. Is there any place in the format for a smallpox deck to do something? Smallpox is tight. And uh, Sepamon has flagstones into like Fetid Heath and Urborg for just max value, which I think is tight. So mm-hmm. they're they're doing it right. 
Okay, Jerry says, play smallpox at your next event. He will take personal responsibility for the outcome. Yo, kind of if, if your opponent's first play is turn two Stoneforge, you, you can't do much better than turn two smallpox. Looks good to me. Unless they have a flag stones too, then you're, then you're Dobbs. But uh, next up, we have Amulet with some Goloses and Brian's favorite card, Zakama Primal Calamity. I, I don't like any of these cards. Uh, Amulet might actually be reasonable again, given that you can avoid the Stoneforge game. Again, another deck that doesn't really care all that much about equipment. I, I don't get Golos. Like You don't really benefit from just getting a land. It doesn't do all that much for your deck in the long term. It just seems like playing some more of your Engineer cards. Like I think Engineered Explosives is pretty reasonable right now. You can play that card Happily, you can use Trinket Mage to go get more copies of that in these slots that you're using for Golos. How often are we activating Golos? Do we even have that capability? I suppose we do. Yeah, you have right? Gemstone Mine. You're golden, man. Yeah, man, I don't know. I I just don't think that's going to come up all that often. You're probably already losing in that spot. And I just would rather play some more engine cards. And if this deck is good, it relies on the core of early Primeval Titans being good. I think that checks out right now. Uh, I don't think generally half measures do anything for you. And it's the same as the car in the great creator problem. Like that seemed like a reasonable card in amulet until you realize, unless you were doing your primary thing, then your entire goal is just like, don't die. Golos. I don't think really does a huge job of accomplishing that. Uh, Field of the dead is a new inclusion to this deck. I actually like that one. I think you can play some grindier games, which you occasionally have to do against control. Field of the dead is a nice pickup there. Uh, less impressed though with Golos still hates a comma. Could be a return to form for Amulet sometime soon coming. Yeah, Field of the Dead is nice. Golos strikes me as the type of card that is good when you have Azusa but nothing else, and maybe you want to be a little bit more threat-dense, but I don't know. I, activating Golos is a pretty big sweat, and it's one of the, the funnest feelings for me in Magic. I'm kind of addicted, so I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of about it. I do enjoy some standard Golos. I, I get where you're coming from, but just don't buy it here. Yeah. Uh, next up, Burr playing some Bant, Snow Tempo, Quaddle, Noble Hierarch, Spell Queller, Stoneforge Mystic, Four Teferi Time Raveler. I I love this. This, this is, is this is pretty interesting. Yeah, this is this is quite good. This is a nice list. Green gives you some decent sideboard options. Still not sure if Noble Hierarch is better than Eighth Revile or whatever. If you want to play just straight blue white, but there are a lot of options. Yeah, I like this one quite a bit. I like the Teferi Astrolabe interaction, way to generate some value in the late game. I think that's a that's cool true. little pickup. Yep. Uh, our mana is now good for Cryptic Command, and we can debate Cryptic Command all we want. But as you mentioned, if we're going to be on the battlefield, then Cryptic Command can win in a lot of those situations. So there's good stuff going on here. I remain skeptical of Jason these decks. I understand you like want to reload, but I think you're just supposed to manufacture your reload with the cards you have present in your deck, doing things like Teferi Astrolabe, those kind of setups. The four mana option seems a little mana intensive, a little shields down for me, uh, a little too sorcery speed maybe, where you otherwise have a lot of flexibility. So not super inclined to go that route, but maybe you just need something to that effect. Maybe you just need that hard reload and Jace is the way to get it. So I'll play some games with this strategy, see how I ultimately come out on Jace, but on the whole, like a lot of what's going on here. I don't know. So back in the day, it was you, you had the Stoneforge package, and then you had Jace, and both of them were very difficult to deal with, and they required different cards to deal with, right? So 
If they loaded up on creature removal, they would lose to Jace. If they loaded up on counterspells, they would lose to Stoneforge. So I, I kind of get wanting something different, uh, especially against decks that are just loading up on removal, because otherwise this deck would kind of struggle against that. But I, I agree that Jace uh, is certainly not as strong in modern as it was in standard back then, and Noble Hierarch helps it out a little bit. Jace has made some of my decks, but is definitely not an auto-include. And yeah, the, the Teferi Astrolabe stuff might just be better as a reload, honestly. Cool take, though. Like a lot of what's going on here. Anything you want to say about the sideboard options? Anything cool you see there? Eh, some Geists, which is fine. I am skeptical that that card is actually going to be good against anyone, but it is what it is. Next deck, how about some more Burn? Although this is a old-school-looking list. Wild Nakatl. Thunderous Wrath. Yeah, aggressive zoo-looking approach to Burn here. Hate it. I, I could tell you love it. I could tell everything hate about it. this appeals to you. Oh, I hate it so much. Okay, I won't make you deal with it any longer. How about a little Death Shadow action? Looks like just classic Grixis Death Shadow. Yeah, not a fan of this either, really. Uh, I feel like would it would have a bad matchup against Stoneforge decks, but maybe I'm wrong. Played this deck this week. I, I Don't ask me why I'm like, okay, I'm loading up. I played one league this week, uh, and it was with Death Shadow, Grixis Death Shadow. I trimmed a bunch of Mishra's Baubles. I had a second copy of Colligan's Command. I think Mishra's Bauble is kind of unnecessary right now. I think the deck is good. I think it does a good job beating up on the decks that are looking to ignore the Stoneforge problem, which is one of the reasons I like it very much. I think the Colligan's Command package, I had two, uh, and I could go even harder post-board. That lets you play the Stoneforge game. You can do so effectively. I think this deck's fine, but it has the same structural problems it has always had. It is inherently inconsistent in a lot of ways. You have hands that just do absolutely nothing. You're very threat light, so when your threats are answered, it feels horrible. There's some strategies which you just don't interact with favorably, and I don't think that's ever going to change for this archetype. And it's not really breaking any of the rules of modern. I said this deck comes as close to cheating on mana as you can without actually cheating on mana. I think that's a good point in its favor. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like the slightest, tiniest bit below the power level I'm looking for in this format. So uh, I think Death Shadow fans, people who are like masters of the archetype, can now actually pick it up for a tournament in good faith and not just be making a horrible decision and throwing their tournament away, which probably feels good for them. Uh, on the whole, though... I don't think it's like a slam dunk choice for this weekend. Yeah, legit. I, I basically agree with everything you said. Turnip Turnip has a deck to offer us. It's humans. Where are humans at right now? Big picture. Let's not worry about the specific list. Let's just talk humans. Big picture. The cards that I want to play in humans do not have creature type human, mm -hmm. which makes well, it very awkward. Well, you have options for that now. You can be Jeskai humans and play more non-humans and get away with it. Yeah, that's not the issue. The issue is then your Thalia's lieutenants are garbage, and then it's like, well, right. I should just cut that for a real magic card. Uh, so Giver of Runes, Stoneforge Mystic to some degree, Deputy of Detention, like, I just want access to all of those cards right now, and it just makes your human package that much worse, you know? So then what are you really doing with your life? Yeah, uh, that's a balancing act. Uh, I think Deputy Detention is a card that has upticked and you can defensively play. You see two copies here from Turnip. I could maybe get away with three. Unsettled Mariner, you were high on that card for a while. Still like it? 
Uh, it doesn't seem very good in this format because there it doesn't seem like there's a ton of removal or like single targeting things. So it's going to be just a grizzly bear a lot of the time. Okay. See, Chalice of the Void has re-entered the sideboard here. Haven't seen that one in human sideboards in quite some time. Yeah, it's kind of weird considering looting got banned and there's nothing like Phoenix really running around, but right. maybe they're scared of living end. Who knows? Well, humans has maintained its metagame position for a very long time now, never, ever being fully squeezed out. Uh, we'll have to see if now's the time where it just can't keep up anymore. Stoneforge Mystic was a big upgrade for a lot of decks. Yeah, I mean, there there are definitely going to be lists that are doing this tempo-y thing that are going to have a bad game one matchup against a go-wide aggressive creature deck, and then they're going to need to sideboard in like some Supreme Verdicts and stuff. Uh, so I, I think humans maybe could have a shot as long as they kind of do what, what Turnip is doing and they just stick to the game plan and just try and you know, not get batter scold basically, just like hope that their reflector mages and deputies are enough, and maybe it is. Time will tell. How about some lantern? It's been a long time. Jerry, I know you've got some bad experiences in your past against lantern control, probably not your favorite deck on the planet, but here is an updated take on lantern, this time including Urza, Lord High Artificer. Anything going on here? Anything we should be paying attention to? Why are people playing wind conditions in their lantern deck now? I don't understand. It does seem kind of beside the point, right? Like the reason you want to do this is because you're not priced in to play in any wind conditions uh, and you believe your lock pieces to be good enough. Yeah, in, in my multiple copies of Ensnaring Bridge deck, I don't want a bunch of Urza's, Assassin's Trophies, and War of Inventions because your hand is just going to get clogged up. That checks. For me, but, so. but as a deck that has multiple copies of Ensnaring Bridge and a, a very easy way to empty its hand, I kind of like Lantern's position, especially since a lot of the decks right now don't have a lot of good ways to actually interact with you. And, you know, Stoneforge is obviously encouraging creature combat. It's also encouraging people to play Disenchants. But again, if you are playing single target disenchants instead of things like Stony Silence because you want to beat up on Stoneforge Mystic, you end up way worse against Lantern. I don't think anyone's rooting for a Lantern resurgence. It kind of falls under the same Tron category, but doesn't seem horrible to me right now. Yeah, I, I think it might be good. How about our second Niv-Mizzet Reborn deck? Of the deck dump, are you excited for this? Uh, it's not surprising for these cards or for these decks to be ten cards different, right? Like, <laughs> I, I think it's surprising for two people to be playing this deck and five owing with it. That's nah, kind of what shocks me. There's multiple people. People love five color stuff. People love the memes. You know, this one has Birds of Paradise. The other one didn't. See, so meme so hard. Next, Murfolk. Uh, what what is the name for gr- green blue Murfolk again? I don't remember. Tropical Merfolk? I don't know. Yeah, there's some silly name. Yeah, it's... I don't think it's good. Uh, Merfolk versus Stoneforge was always kind of a losing battle. I I do think that there was a period where Merfolk could have maybe been good because of Force Mitigation and stuff, but you're, you're kind of relying on the stuff that I was talking about with humans where you, you just go wide, maybe disrupt them a little bit. You, like, have to play Dismember or Vapor Snag or something to deal with the Batter Skull, and then maybe you can just tempo them out and hope that that's good enough, but I don't think it is. I don't think so either. Next deck, how about more mono red nonsense? At least this time we have like Chalice of the Void and Snaring Bridge, Blood Moon, like actual lock pieces, and we're just not like, here's my Goblin Rabble Master, hope that's good enough. Right, and I like the strategy a lot more right now. This this deck really does not care about a Batter Skull whatsoever, and people 
are probably not really ready for this. So it, it's possible that this could be a reasonable choice too. And lot, relying on ensnaring bridge as a lock piece has to be a little problematic right now, though, with so many decks accounting for artifacts. It's just not the hard lock it used to be in the past. Post board, that's certainly the case, but I don't know. I've I've played games against this deck where they're they're not just sitting on bridge, right? Like they they then corn lock you or they have, you out from your removal. Yeah, or they have Rabble Master. They're making a token every turn, but can't attack. And then it's like, yeah, you kill the bridge, but then they can just Alpha Strike you and kill you. You know, sure. Uh, so they're they're actually like accumulating kind of a board uh, while this is happening. So they're they're not just relying on bridge like something like Lantern might be. Okay, uh, time for some more black white Eldrazi type shenanigans. This one does have Relic of Progenitus, able to better leverage those Wasteland Stranglers, which there are three copies of. Yeah, I was going to say, there are a lot of Wasteland Stranglers, uh, but at least they have Relics, so I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, I think this is uh, from one of the people in our Discord, no? XJ Cloud? Possibly. I recognize this list. Okay. Uh, but yeah, this this is completely solid. I, I had a similar list in my article. I think that playing more disruption and interaction in place of the Aether Vials makes a, a pretty decent amount of sense. I, I smile as I see the light of shadow alongside four Fulminator Mage in the soundboard. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for just this one time doing that for me. I appreciate it. Yep. How about Mardu? I know you have takes on the future of Mardu. Here's a list. Season Pyromancer, Stoneforge Mystic, Liliana the Veil, Angrath's Rampage, Three Lingering Souls, Batterskull, Fire and Ice, Light and Shadow. Like this one? I don't know how you're supposed to build this deck but I do think that it has the tools to succeed because you have a lot of uh, token-makey things to go with your equipment. You have ways to kill equipment, and then you have a bunch of removal and disruption. Your overall mana curve is very low, which I also just typically like in modern. I think you want Stoneforge. I think you probably want some amount of Seasoned Pyromancers. I'm not sure what to do past that. It might be Dreadhorde Arcanist. I think that might be better than Dark Confidant, but I'm not sure. And I would almost certainly play a third Kolagon's Command, and then I don't know if I'm playing like Liliana or not. If I'm playing Liliana, I probably want some Smiting Helixes too. I think that card's pretty good, especially if you're playing a bunch of Seasoned Pyromancers, but... There's, there's a lot of different ways you could go with this deck, and it's not like you're building around synergies or whatever. You're just playing like whatever sweet cards you want to happen to be good. Yeah, Mardu good cards is the new face of this archetype. We'll have to see if those cards prove good enough against what's going on in the format. Yeah, Wear Tear as a sideboard card is awesome. Yep. How about Restore Balance? I know you're a big fan of these As Foretold decks. Are you as big of a fan of Restore Balance? Crashing Footfalls? I liked trying to build around like finale of promise on the zero mana cards a lot more when there was faithless looting. Now it right. seems just too difficult, right? Feels, it feels like it's missing. It feels like that's the card I'm looking for in this deck. Like how am I getting paid on all these things? And without it, I think it's a bit of a challenge. Yeah, there is potential for these sorts of decks. This deck I think has too many weirdo, you know, zero mana cards that don't necessarily work that well together. You know, you're drawing cards with Ancestral and then you cast Restore Balance or you're making some 4-4s four and then casting Restore Balance. It just right. doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, but Collected Conjuring, Electrodominance, As Foretold, and the zero mana things, like I do think that there's going to be a deck here at some point, but this probably isn't it. Next. Scred Red. 
Haven't seen much of Scred Red since the Astrolabe printing. You would think that would make a difference. Also, our first Frostwalk Bastion appearance of this deck dump, I believe. Nice to see that one getting a little bit of run. When is this deck good? Why is this deck potentially good? Is it good now? No. Uh, I, I like the prison deck better than this because the threats that this deck is presenting are not that great. I suppose if Relic is quite good, then this makes a little bit more sense. But, you know, you have Anger, Lightning Bolt, and Scred. I think this deck is targeting, like, a very specific metagame. And, I don't know, maybe we're there, I guess, with all the Stone Forges and all the creatures and everything. But could also make the case for some amount of a Braids or something like that uh, if you actually cared about the equipment instead of just killing all their creatures. I don't know, maybe... Maybe just killing all their stuff is better than playing in Steering Bridge. I don't think it is. Yeah, this is my first shot at seeing Karn the Great Creator in these kind of setups. And I, I do like that inclusion. It seems like it's actually a reasonable endgame that you're working towards now, where before your endgame was a little bit more murky. Yeah. This at least makes sense to me. Three copies doesn't make a ton of sense, though. Especially, I'm, I'm playing the fourth before I get to my second Karn Scion of Urza, that's for sure. Agreed. So maybe clean that up a little bit. Scred always steals a tournament. Like once a year, there's a big Scred result. Everyone gets excited and then disappears again. Eh, it's like once every two or three years at this point. It's been slowing down a little bit. Okay. Well, how about we go back to Stoneforge Mystic decks, and this time it's a uh, pretty typical Vile deck dealing with a mono-white approach this time. Leonin Arbiter, Stoneforge Mystic in the same deck once more. Yeah, uh, small thing because I don't have a lot to say about how this deck is constructed because it's pretty similar to the other stuff, but this deck has four silent clearings and I think it's pretty reasonable for Urza to play a second pithing needle and they don't really care about ghost quarter. They don't really care about your equipment and especially in post board games, you're going to be trying to dig for answers. So I just split your things, your lands, because I do think it matters. Okay. I think it will actually come up. Good little tip there for deck builders in the modern format. Let's go to some blue-white control, looks like. Uh, Straight out of three months ago, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, not a whole lot changing here. You see the Gyro Reach Sanitarium Narset combo showing up once more. Quote-unquote combo. Whatever. This deck is the same deck it's been. I I just don't know how this is what you want to do. But here you go. Sideboard Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah. So one of the problems I always had with Azorius Control was that it was not proactive enough. Now you actually have a good proactive plan. Just do that. I'm with you. With you. I don't think these pure sit-back control decks really have a place right now. Uh, Let's get to some Mono Red Prowess, looks like. Yeah, decent. Uh, What what are we doing to replace our Faithless Looting? What's the the new ad here? Uh, Whatever. Just put in some random one-mana red cards. It doesn't matter. Got it. Uh, Done. You, you have a bunch of one mana and zero mana cards that fill your graveyard for Bedlam, Bedlam Reveler. You don't actually need Faithless Looting. And, I mean, it, it kind of helps with the prowess things and smoothing out your draws and whatever. But, realistically, you don't need it. And Cutting Phoenix was probably one of the best things for this deck. So, you talked previously about how Burn doesn't fear Stoneforge Mystic because... Plenty of removal. You're going to kill the Stoneforge Mystic. Doesn't matter. The removal options are thinner here. Yes. As far as pure removal, there's four Lightning Bolt, Fork Bolt. That's it. A lot of abrades in the sideboard. Right. And 
it, it is certainly possible for you, especially now with just the full 16 prowess creatures, where they can have a batter skull and you just don't care. You're just bigger than it. Right. So as, as long as you're doing Bedlam Reveler things, I think that's fine. Okay. Yeah, I like this approach quite a bit. Oh, it's time, Gerald. It's time. We get to talk about my new favorite deck that I have legitimately never played a game with. It is Twiddlestorm. And first of all, this person loses tremendous points for only playing one copy of Twiddle. That's disrespectful to the great lineage of Twiddle and will not allow me to leverage the four alpha copies I bought. So this deck list is basically thrown out the window. But seriously, I, I mean, like this has more Vizier of Tumbling Sands than the typical list. I think that's interesting. I am inclined to just do my one mana thing more consistently. We talked about the struggles with this archetype last week where it doesn't do anything. If you don't have Lotus Field, we talked about Matt Nass playing some Sylvan Scrying to do things more consistently. Uh, I think that's cool and a fine approach. Uh, we have Ideas Unbound, Serum Vision, Sleight of Hands. We're looking at a lot of cards overall. There's even the cycling on Vizier of Tumbling Sand, so maybe that's a lean towards that. On the whole, strategically, I don't have a lot to say about this deck. It's pretty clear what you're doing here. You're just making a bunch of mana. You're eventually going to storm off with Grape Shot, draw your whole deck, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's all fine. Big picture, this is more stack-based combo. None of the decks or cards we have been talking about really do a great job of interacting with this, this deck whatsoever. Uh, if there's a problem, it's Thalia and Thalia's uptick. You really don't want to see a ton of Thalia when you're playing this deck. Uh, maybe want a harder way to deal with that in the main deck as the meta leans in that direction. I don't know exactly what it's supposed to be, but there's probably options out there. Interesting, interesting deck, though, as it stands right now. Yeah, one expedition map I like, and I wonder if there shouldn't be more of them, because it sets you up for turn three pretty nicely and seems better than splashing Sylvan Scrying. Yeah, it's it's clean. Uh, certainly a greater long-term mana investment, three mana versus two mana, but you're right, don't have to worry about the splash anymore. And then sideboard Deceiver XR Kiki Jiki, that kind of seems like nonsense. Strikes me as a bit of nonsense. If we wanted to do some nonsense, we could just do the uh, madcap experiment thing, right? Like get a splash going for that over the splash for Kiki Jiki. Again, uh, you only get them once, but. Right. I, I mean, I think you only get them once with either thing and right. they're probably good in different matchups. So I don't know. Okay. Trying to do something makes sense to me, I guess. Uh, a, side, a sideboard juke seems fine. Uh, I don't know what exactly what it's supposed to be, but it's an interesting option. I just don't know, like, who are you like I have to juke against? Like, who are you saying your main plan is untenable and it's important I have access to creature-based combo as opposed to stack-based combo? Yeah. Uh, next figure that out. Next deck is Green-Red Eldrazi. The, the versions of this deck that have been doing well recently generally have some three mana planeswalkers. This one has uh, two copies of Domri Anarcha Bolas, one Vivian Champion of the Wilds. I kind of like that. Uh, also present two Gruul Spellbreaker and four Goblin Rabble Masters. So very much embracing the haste nature of Reality Smasher and just trying to build the, the fastest clock possible between that and, you know, Bloodbraid Elf, Eldrazi Obligator, etc. Little worried about this deck getting stonewalled by a batter skull in some situations you can outgrow it potentially it's a problem um, you have obligator as an option but i think this deck is a little bit more vulnerable to batter skull than i want to be right now i like that there's two main deck of braids it's in contemplation of that for sure 
but I need a reason to pick up this deck, and I, I don't see it as it stands. Uh, haste, big threats. If you have ways to stop the Stone Blade decks from getting traction, then if they side in things like Supreme Verdict or whatever, this deck will mostly just ignore those. And you have Lightning Bolt to kill the Stoneforge Mystic too. So obviously if they get actual Batter Skull on the battlefield, that's problematic. But mm-hmm. I think just Quick Clock plus some Disruption is a reasonable plan. And then obviously you have a lot of sideboard options, but this deck could also just play Dismember somewhere. That's true. I feel obligated to mention too, with Eldrazi Temple, you have access to potentially taking the Batter Skull with Thought Not Seer, which is a nice angle to have. Not sure how much that comes up, but I'm sure it happens from time to time. Yeah. Uh, next one is another Scape Shift deck. This one is red-green, but has a weird mana base because it has one copy of Field of the Dead. I'm not sure if that actually does anything but it makes sense with like Hour of Promise. And I could actually see some lists that sort of embrace Field of the Dead a little bit more with like Colney Heart Expedition. And that way, if you don't draw Primeval Titan or Scape Shift, at least you're just ramping a bunch and making a bunch of things. I don't know. Is it just low cost enough that you can reasonably consider it? And occasionally it gives you outs to certain sticky situations and can buy you time for more setup in some spots like, I don't know. It, it seems pretty low cost to have that one copy to me. Yeah, I. it's just weird because if you are trying to build your deck with these uh, like backdoor setups in mind, you have to naturally draw it. But I guess Hour of Promise kind of fixes that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's certainly interesting. Next. Oh, I like this one. I don't know if I like the specific list. Hold on. Let's see if I'm going to go that far. We're looking at a Saheeli Rai list right now. Saheeli Rai, Felidar Guardian, alongside Stoneforge Mystic. I think this is actually a deck that got a pretty significant upgrade. Oh, yeah. Not 100% on board with this particular setup we're looking at. Four-season Pyromancer seems a little incongruent with the rest of what we're trying to accomplish here. But this archetype can do some big things. It was close. I was starting to break through prior to... Hogak coming on the scene, getting more and more traction. And I think the addition of Stoneforge Mystic is just a big slam dunk for this archetype. Uh, So this is Yan Huang. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. If you want to check them out on Twitter, they play a lot of Jeskai Sahili. And uh, I I retweeted this deck list yesterday, actually. And they talked a little bit about some of the changes that they had made and stuff like that. So if you want updates on this archetype, Definitely go give them a follow. And a, a lot of the Felidar Sahili folks have been really loving Season Pyromancer. And I think that's fine. Gives you some filtering. It's good to blink. Uh, it's good to copy with Sahili Ryan, everything. So it does kind of make sense to me. Stoneforge gives you a plan B, which is certainly an upgrade. And you also have this combo potential to make you have a solid matchup against Tron. So this deck is really scary, actually. Any love for a snow package here? I think Arkham's Astrolabe is a pretty good card with a lot of what's going on here. Uh, I mean, Astrolabe is fine. I don't think it's better than Serum Visions. Like, I don't necessarily think you need the fixing that much. Obviously, it helps with Serum uh, Season Pyromancer a little bit, but, like, is it better to play Astrolabe than just take an extra two from a Shockland? I don't know. Well, I'm thinking more Blinks with Felidar Guardian, Blinks with Saheeli Rai, ways to generate card advantage off of those cards when they're... I mean, look, the biggest problem with those cards is there's times when they're not good. And I get Season Pyromancer as a response to that. It does make more sense the more I think about it. But 
my biggest struggle with this archetype historically has just been like sometimes the Sahili Ryan Felder Guardian are so awful, just so miserable. And I yeah. thought Teferi was a big step towards fixing that. Some Narset setup seemed pretty good to me that I've seen before, where you can blink your Narset and get multiple draws. But the snow package in general seems like a really appealing way to fix that issue. Yeah, I can see that. Obviously, if you have to cast one of those cards and you don't have the option to blink something for value, then your deck is not really functioning. So what are you really doing? So yeah, maybe I could see that. Uh, other nitpick, I hate the colonnades. Get them out. They gone. Sideboard has a lot of good options. I'm not sure these are the best ones, but uh, this deck's got a lot of good tools. Like I said, very scary deck. Yeah, the Jeskai decks have really good setups right now. You mentioned Wear Terror a bunch of times, but there's just the classic white options, Stony Silence, Rest in Peace, strong cards for sure. Yeah, Force of Negation too. Uh, right. you, just, you have basically all your bases covered, which is sick. Maybe I'm not into Snapcaster Mage in this deck. Maybe that's the card I really don't like here. Uh, I think I had two in my list. It, it's pretty much the same as a lot of these other Azorius lists where it's like you have some paths and some cantrips, but not really a whole lot else. And there's just a lot of inertia from older lists that had more spells in them. And now you're cutting a lot of spells for like Planeswalkers and Stoneforges and equipment. Right. And you can just play two Snapcasters with you know, 12 spells or whatever, that's fine. I'm inclined to try none, maybe one. Like you said, not accomplishing a whole lot in this deck. Not too many spells. We see the package here, 16 spells. And they're not game-breaking ones. They're fine. Getting access to extra removal, always good. But uh, yeah, I think we could do something a little tighter with that slot. Yep. Uh, next up is Aurum 67 with four Emrakul the Aeons Torn coming at you via Through the Breach. No Blood Moons, just some uh, counter spells, removal spells, and that's about it. I don't know. I guess we added Factor Fiction as a way to do our thing more often, but this checks the box of ignoring the Stoneforge stuff, right? Like, you don't care about a Batter Skull, obviously, as Emrakul. I, I have concerns about this archetype. I've never been sold on it. Uh, my five-mana, two-card combo is like, that doesn't necessarily win the game. Often does, but doesn't always. Maybe not quite there on modern power level. If we could do this a turn faster, you start selling me on it. But just pure need to draw five lands in my 23 land deck, I'm not 100% on board. No, that's that's fine. You have enough cantrips and stuff. I, I have three concerns other than this deck just kind of being bad. I, as much as I love a blue combo control deck. All right. Mm -hmm. So uh, first thing is actually a good thing where Factor Fiction is huge because this deck needed some amount of raw card advantage. Sure. And Factor Fiction, it, you know, if you're looking for just Emrakul or whatever, like you can just take that off the FOF, right? It, it's like a search spell and a thing that just gives you more resources. So cool. Like that inclusion. Next thing is that Stoneforged Mystic into Batter Skull is sort of problematic in that it makes it so you have to combo twice. Right. There, there are times where... You can lightning bolt them out or snapcast your bolt them or whatever, but it's like if you combo them and they're at 30, things things are a lot tougher. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason for that, this is sort of the third thing, is that Stoneforge, Batterskull, Aether Vile, by the time you combo, they might just have way more than six permanents, right? And then you do your thing, you actually assemble your combo, you pull it off, they keep two grizzly bears and just kill you with them. Right. Scary spot to be in. So, Factor Fiction, thumbs up. Uh, the rest of it I am not a fan of, and I want to like it. This is exactly the type of deck I like. 
pass for the time being. Yar. All right. More haste creatures. Gruel Spellbreaker, Bloodbury Elf, Glorybringer, Arbor Elf, Utopia Sprawl, some Blood Moons, some Planeswalkers. Just uh, a really good standard deck, you know? It, it feels like these cards were chosen at random, quite frankly. <laughs> like, I just really like Glorybringer. I'm going to go ahead and stick it in this deck. Yeah, like you said, one of the best standard decks of all time. Yeah, this is competing for Stormbreath Dragon, Thundermaw Hellkite, and Glorybringer all in the same deck. I mean, got them all in there. Beautiful. Checked all the boxes. Yeah, busted. This is a deck you haven't heard you talk a lot about. No, Jay, no, no. So, so check this out. This is sad. This is the person who always played Mardu Pyromancer. Okay. And it's so sad, right? You, this person probably has hundreds, maybe thousands of leagues played with Mardu Pyromancer. Faithless Looting gets banned. What do you do? I mean, obviously you just port over to Mardu Death Shadow. That makes sense. A lot of the cards fit over. You don't have to get that many new things, but it's like that deck very much represented this person's identity, at least for like how I know them. Right. And they are just right. forever changed because Faithless Looting got banned. It's so sad. Wow, you just made the Faithless Looting ban really, really sad. Like, I mean, I'm kind of heartbroken right now. It's, it's very sad for a very few specific people, right? It's like anyone who was a diehard, is it Phoenix player? It's like, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, it was a big part of who you were and how you engaged with magic and everything. And, I don't know. It's just a, a travesty. No, we. I mean, we've talked about this a bunch, how important it is, like how much people identify with their modern decks. Also, the, just the financial investment of creating that modern deck. Always, yeah. Uh, it's it's huge. And it, it's something that you have to keep in mind when they are bans and think about how they affect people. And I think that's why we're often incentivized to avoid bans until they are absolutely necessary. One of the reasons why the Faithless Looting ban shocks so many people. So this is the world we are now left in where the Mardu Pyromancer players are forced to play Mardu Death Shadow. Are you happy about your scenario? Can you live with playing Mardu Death Shadow? Uh, no, I would play Mardu Blade something or other, but I think this is a fine choice too. Okay. I don't know. It, it's like you're doing all this work, punching yourself in the face to play Death Shadow, and then even then you recognize that it's not good enough because you need Team or Battle Rage to get through all these creatures. You don't have a lot of card filtering or anything to find the battle rage it's a dead draw until you know you actually assemble a good board position it's like i just don't want to play death shadow yeah i've said for the longest time that the adoption of teamer battle rage was 100 correct it's what these mardu what all the death shadow decks needed to do but as soon as you did it the deck was no longer something to be feared in the format it immediately was downgraded and the necessity to have to play teamer battle range is what spelled basically the end of Death Shadow's dominance in the format. A card people talked about banning for a long time. Let's not forget. Yeah. Uh, how many decks do we have left? Because my throat is dying and I'm out of Red Bull. And honestly, the Red Bull probably doesn't help. I might need some water. Let's, why don't we take a five? Because I could use a restroom break. One of the weird things about doing these live podcasts is that uh, we usually can build in breaks to our actual recording process. Let's just take five. I mean, we're we'll also at two and a half hours at this point. So I think it's right. completely reasonable. And for, for y'all that don't know, I mean, we, we do this show, uh, you know, basically five a month and they're like an hour, hour and a half each. And I try to stay as like high energy as possible during the show. And then at the end of it, I just kind of collapse, right? I'm like done talking. I just want to sit there. And 
yeah, this is this is very tough. And maybe taking a break was a bad idea. I definitely did need water, but it just kind of like the the exhaustion hit me. But I'm trying to get fired up again. Let's go. We'll we'll find our fire, and we will find it with this amazing, pretty boring, actually. <laughs> no, let's do it. Let's talk about Eldrazi Tron. Eldrazi Tron list. Um, this is looking a lot like what the deck has congealed around in recent months. Uh, Ugin making the cut now, which I, I kind of like. Uh, Mystic Forge, which is a good add for this deck. Maybe should be there in higher numbers. I don't know. It's a little surprising to see just one copy. Are there more copies in the sideboard? Uh, it's tough. I mean, you're not really going off like you would with Affinity or something, right? So right. It, it, it also is only really good in very specific matchups. But yeah, Karn the Great Creator may be stronger than we're giving it credit for. Uh, it kind of fell off uh, last season just because people were jamming it and everything, which I think was fine to try out and everything. But the, the Stony Silence may be actually good as long as you can kill the first creature that they get equipped, you know? Yeah, I think that... Static ability got a lot of little ticks in the box. Uh, I haven't thought about how Eldrazi Tron really fits in a post-Stoneforge meta. There's some cards which I really don't like. Things like Matter Reshaper are downright scary. You're obviously Removal Light, having only these three dismembers. So that's a little problematic. So I don't know if this deck can continue to exist in this form. But here it is posting a 5 and we'll see if it continues to do so. Well, you have Olazdos, you have Walking Ballista, but the big problem with Eldrazi in general is that Stoneforge just kind of blanks them because the equipment kind of uh, ignores the fact that you got to kind of cheat this big, efficient creature onto the battlefield, you know? So I definitely like Normal Tron over this right now, and just things like Oblivion Stone are just so good against Stoneforge, and this this deck has uh, too many weak cards against that strategy, I think. Lamp Gain saying something interesting, which I had not considered at all over in chat. Karn the Great Creator can make equipment fall off. So you plus with Karn onto equipment and that takes it off because now it's a creature. Yeah, that's true. That's, and then, and then interesting. You're, but then your Karn maybe gets punched in the face, right? Potentially. So like if, if you make their sword into a 3-3, three, three, then they attack mm. your Karn with some other stuff, and maybe that's not good. You need some defensive setup already, but yeah. yeah I, that, I think it's only in the Batter Skull scenario where you're really likely to do that. But yeah, you could convert some of your removal to artifact removal in that fashion as well. But killing the germ, I think, is the big appeal of plusing with Karn, even if you do take a little bit of a pop from it. Well, you, you, you plus one, kill the germ, make Batter Skull into a 5-5, five, five, and then they attack it with Stoneforge and Batter Skull to kill it cleanly. So if you have one blocker, you get you to keep blocker. the card around, which is good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely a line that'll come up, so that's good to know. Yeah, interesting. Next. Next deck. How about some mill? Are you interested in milling people? Now that you can put cards in people's graveyards without worrying about just fueling a giant Hogak, are you ready to mill people again? I don't know. Was, was mill actually bad against Hogak? Because... You got the main deck surgicals and like crypt incursions. You had ensnaring bridge. They were milling themselves, so it wasn't that hard for you to kill them. It's basically irrelevant, but I I, I don't think that this deck was horrible. But uh, scheming symmetry is interesting. It allows you to shave down to one ensnaring bridge, which is kind of nice. And then obviously you just mill whatever your opponent tutors for, and obviously they could tutor for a, a vengevine or whatever. Oh, you also turn, you turn on your archive traps as well when you cast Scheming Symmetry. Yeah, that's true too. Uh, I mean, Field of Rune did that and everyone's fetching and whatnot. So it's not that big of a deal. But yeah, Ar- Archive Trap is just never going to sit in your hand anymore. So 
the mission briefings make a lot of sense in that regard, just giving you as many archive traps as possible because they're always going to be live. I don't know if Manic Scribe is actually playable or not, but I don't know. If if people are doing like mid-rangey equipment things and you know you get to hide behind and steering bridge, I think that you're just going to be able to race those decks very easily. So Mill, Mill could be good, actually. This deck is also historically great against like single card combo setups, things like stack-based combo. So it could be kind of a next level decision. If you take out the Lotus Fields with your, excuse me, your surgical extractions, that's a really good setup and they basically are unable to win. Uh, exposing their key cards to surgical extraction via your mill pieces has proven to be successful in the past when you're dealing with single card combo setups. Yeah, I wouldn't say that this this deck is good against them because this is like a turn six goldfish, you know? So you you have to hit, right? You have to hit, you have to have a surgical. Sure, but like something like Tron where there's multiple pieces you can hit, I think it often plays much better than you would expect. Yeah, uh, Primeval Titan decks have a hard time dealing with it a lot of the time. So a lot of these more mid-range strategies, mid-range combo strategies, I should say, you find pretty clean answers against. Uh, yep. Uh, next up, we, we have maybe the biggest piece of spice in this deck dump coming from Aaron Barich. And uh, she is sort of playing Infect with Blighted kind Agent. Of, sort of, yeah. But this is all about just cheating Colossus Hammer onto something with like Sigarda's Aid and Core Outfitter. I, I don't know what to say. I'm kind of dumbfounded. Like this setup looks cool. You're basically trying to put together like a three or four card combo, but you have a lot of redundancy and ways yep. to do it. And I, I don't think I could give an informed opinion about this deck without actually playing it. As far as the cards that are present, I like a lot of them. I, I like our Stoneforge Mystics. I like our Teferis. This one probably deserves a little bit more exploration. Yeah, very interesting. And just some some good deck building, too. I really like this. Anything going on the sideboard that we want to mention? It just seems like, again, more of these good blue-white sideboard options that we keep talking about. Yeah. Maybe one of the... The big pickups in this format are just good sideboard options for the blue-white decks. Yep, and Giver of Ruins is also just huge in this sort mm. of deck. I uh, like sure. it a lot. I agree. Next. Time for a little bit of Hardened Scales affinity. This time we are going to play Scrapyard Combine Recombiner, a card we talked about a bunch during Modern Horizons spoiler season. Never seemed to quite get there, or maybe just this format wasn't quite getting there, but here it is, Scrapyard Recombiner. Yeah, it... If games are a little slower, uh, a little grindier, then it makes sense. I know that a lot of the actual diehard Hardened Scales players have not liked that card. They did try it and just found it to be a little bit too slow. There are certain metagames. Like if there's a bunch of Jund or whatever, it kind of makes sense to play more grindy cards. Yeah, and things look like they're slowing down a bit, at least via this deck dump. We always talk about how it's not the best reflection of what's going on, but... Worth considering. Right. How about a little collected company action? This time we're doing it alongside Soul Herder? Yeah, so this is sort of blink, sort of company. Uh, also has Stoneforge Mystic Package in three equipment. So a lot of spells between collected company, negate, and path to exile. Negate's kind of interesting, seeing that over force of negation and then three mm. equipments and I think you could probably shave some of that stuff to either get the fourth company in there or another creature or whatever, but uh, minor deck building qualms aside, I, I again, I think Bant company Stoneforge stuff is pretty good. With you. Next deck, Spirits. 
Pretty classic looking spirits list. No Stoneforge Mystic in the main deck or sideboard. So we're just going back in time uh, about six months ago now. Yeah, Giver of Runes helps the spirit deck. Uh, but Giver of Runes and Deputy. And if you want to play Stoneforge Mystic, it kind of does the stuff I was talking about with humans where it's like, well, are you really getting spirit payoffs at that point? Is it worth it? Or should you just be playing a bunch of blue and white good cards? And I think good cards is probably stronger. Uh, I also think that Stoneforge Mystic could help with just the overall mediocrity of your creatures, you know, like Mausoleum Wanderer, Rattle Chains. They're not really good beaters, but that's kind of what Supreme Phantom and Drog Skull Captain are supposed to help with. Yeah, nice to get an actual good card in your deck, turns out. Yeah, and, uh, I'm, overall, I'm not a fan of this deck because the, the card quality is very low. Right. So I, I would be looking at other options, but this is not the worst deck in the universe by any stretch of the imagination. So do, do with that what you will. Time for some more mono white Eldrazi action. This one going as far as to play Ephemerate. Four Ranger Captain of Eos, four Thraben Inspector, a Weathered Wayfarer. Some things I like going on here. I will say I I like the four Thraben Inspector for a deck like this, which is pretty just hard locked on playing its spells in order and hoping they're good enough. There is an actual card advantage package via Ranger Captain of Eos. Four copies of Ranger Captain of Eos I think is kind of neat. But again, strategically, I don't think this is really doing all that much different from other options we've looked at thus far. Yeah, it's it's interesting, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not really feeling it. The, the Eldrazi, to me, just do not seem that strong outside of Displacer. So I'm not sure that all of that stuff is actually worth it. And I mean, at least this one's not playing like Flicker Wisp. You know, you have actual Ranger Captain of Eos and some mm-hmm. good one drops, so... Slightly better in that regard, but that's about it. That's all I got. Sword of Sinew and Steel sitting in the sideboard. Gideon Blackblade making a modern appearance as well. Yeah, Sinew and Steel seems good in theory, right? Because you're sort of scared against decks that have a lot of red and black removal, but people should realistically be bringing in artifact removal against you too. So it's not like your sword is necessarily going to stick around, and I'm not sure how you're going to how often you're going to kill a planeswalker with this or kill an artifact or whatever. I, I just don't know if it's kind of like the Manriki Gusari thing, right? Like in magical Christmas land, it's awesome, but I'm not sure if it ever comes together. And if I'm underselling it and those situations do come up a lot more often, I think sort of sinew and steel deserves a lot of consideration. I'm just skeptical, but it's something I got to test. Let us know how that goes. Meanwhile, we're going to sit here and test pillage and stone rain because it's apparently 1994 for Hoark 47, uh, Johnny Vengeance, Renin 6, Bloodbraid Elf, Hexstriker, Noble Hierarch, Tarmogoyf, and then uh, just eight hard land destruction spells in this deck. What do you think about what's going on here, Jerry? I don't think land destruction is very good right now. You and Hoark disagree on that point. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm actually on your team. That might surprise you. Pillage is kind of fine. Boom bust with flagstones of Trocare, kind of fine. Actual stone rain i'm not a fan of <laughs> yeah stone raid's a hard sell these days uh pillage picking up artifacts kind of neat i guess like you're better against tron if we talk about tron being everywhere and like i said in the moto queues there was a bunch of tron so i get what's going on there the payoffs for red and six seem a little thin here i mean like granted you don't you're not going to go hard ever like you're not trying to do a ridiculous red and six package but 
I don't know, a field of ruin, maybe. Seems like it's worth trying to mise that if you're so focused on this land destruction plan. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that's completely reasonable. Uh, maybe the basic planes doesn't need to be there, and that could just be a field of ruin or something. Seems fine to me. Let's move on to our next deck. It's time for some core tapper action. I got to cover some matches of core tapper at the most recent SUG. It just kind of sat there and died and did nothing uh, <laughs> in the face of collector oof one time in the face of just like a good humans draw another time. And I remain underwhelmed by this deck. I think it's, I think it's fine. Like I'm not saying it's bad on its face and there's not merit to playing it. It's just, if you're going to do like this big mana stuff, just go play Tron. Like you're just complicating things and playing a worse version, I think, and not picking up all that much in return. Well, this, this deck is more of an affinity deck than a Tron deck, I think. And certainly you're going to have the draws where you have a bunch of ornithopters and like no payoffs. And this deck is going to have a bunch of astral cornucopias and no core tapper and stuff like that. So there's a decent amount of variance involved. And obviously things get much worse when people are able to start disrupting you and Obviously, you're weak to Stony Silence. I think people are more likely to play Disenchants than Stony Silences, uh, unless you're talking about Collector Roof specifically. But uh, Disenchants are still very good against this deck. So, I don't know. I agree with you. I'm not seeing an upside to playing this over Tron, but I do think that there is a world where this is better than Tron. We're just not living in it. We'll have to see if that world comes to fruition in the future, but right now not doing it. How about elementals? You doing this, Jerry? Are you interested in making some lightning skeletals alongside your Arisen Reefs? That just seems like good classic magic, right? No, this is such a weird deck because you have all of these cards that share the creature type and some things that key off the creature type, but then you have like Risen Reef stuff and lightning skeletal stuff and you're like Vesper Larking. It's just like the deck is just all over the place, right? Like the elementals just don't have a lot of synergy together. Is there a package for elementals that seems reasonable? I mean, some of the stuff going on here is okay-ish, I think. You're right, it doesn't congeal into anything that makes anything resembling sense, basically. But, like, there's good elementals now. The lands are really good for elementals. and Of course. You're getting a lot of powerful payoffs. Maybe you just throw some Stoneforge Mystics in here and call it a day. That's what we're doing with everything else, right? Uh, it's tougher when you're playing Ziggurat and Cameron of Souls and a bunch of things sure, that don't sure. actually make white mana. But, hey, you got those reflecting pools, right? Anything could happen. <laughs> That's the right attitude. Anything can happen when a reflector pool's in, pre- in play. Uh, this is this is actually a deck that has Flicker Wisp that I could kind of endorse because it is an elemental and you have a lot of things that are worth blinking. But that's more of an indicator that your deck stinks. Deck capable of generating a lot of card advantage for a deck that is 36 creatures and 4 Aether Vials. Yeah. Which is interesting. But it seems like there's a cleaner way to set this all up. Yeah, just play humans and attack people. Done. Looks like we're back into the realm of blue-white, mid rangey type stuff. Oh, no, we got red here. Lightning Bolt, Lightning Helix. I feel yeah. like we covered this exact deck. Like, how is this any different from the deck we talked about previously? Uh, more Spell Quellers and Vendillions, less Planeswalkers, different suite of early counter magic. Uh, no Ops. In this deck, no early cantrip, so just trying to do your your beatdowny thing. But it, it, that's a tough sell for me because if magic has taught me anything over the years, it is that we dramatically undervalue cantrips. 
there were uh, a decent amount of periods where you could play Ponder and Preordain in uh, like Cogo type of stuff, and we just didn't. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, we'll play Preordain, and that was probably a mistake. And now we have access to a lot of cantrips. They're not as good as those ones, but I, I think just playing Opt or Serum Visions in a deck like this, I'm not sure how many you should play. I'm not sure if you should play eight or whatever, but you should definitely play some. It will make your deck better. At some point, you want your Snapcaster Mage to be able to draw you a card, and not having access to that seems like crazy talk to me. Yeah, that too. It, it just adds a mode to Snapcaster Mage, which should be worth it all on its own. All right, how about we go back to the Eldrazi Well one more time? Yeah, um, why not? Also, also the Well of Leonin Arbiter alongside Stoneforge Mystic. Uh, here we've got Simeon Spirit Guides accelerating this whole game plan with Chalice of the Void. Any love for this deck? Not really. I kind of said my piece on Eldrazi. Uh, you have the Arbiter Stoneforge nonsense that's kind of happening. And I think this version of the deck specifically needs uh, Leonin Arbiter a lot more than it needs Stoneforge Mystic because you're trying to lock people first and foremost, or at least disrupt them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And going like Gemstone Caverns or Simeon Spirit Guide into turn one Stoneforge Mystic is fine. It's reasonable, right? But rather Arbiter. I would, yeah, I would rather Arbiter against basically everyone, especially in the dark, you know? Yeah, I mean, interesting that we're arguing for Arbiter over Stoneforge Mystic, but this is the one deck where I probably agree with you. Yeah. Three Winds of Abandon as your removal spell, very cool to see. Yeah, I mean, normally they split between that and uh, Dismember, but... Uh, to fit in stone forges and some equipments, uh, they just shave some cards. So that's fine too. How about we go to a snook list? It looks like it's time for some Esper, Bitter Blossoms. No, just, we're not. We're not bothering with just blue black. Just blue black. Okay, so yeah. we're not bothering with Stoneforge. My instinct was I was going to see Stoneforge here, but yeah, just blue black. This is like Yuta Takahashi type fairy stuff. Yeah, Snook, what the hell are you doing, man? You're you're in the <laughs> chat, aren't you? I know you are. I think he was around earlier. I don't know if he's still here, but uh, yeah, this is fairies. This seems like a mistake for the most part. I don't have a lot of reason to do this right now. I will allow everyone to play one league with a deck that they have very strong nostalgia for, but that's it. After that, you're cut off. Okay. And I don't care if you five O that is not an indicator that you should keep playing the deck and that it has potential merit because this deck certainly does not. Uh, Snook is back and he has called you rude in the chat. Unimpressed with your tone, Gerald. I hope it was fun, buddy, because you, <laughs> That's you better all you get. stop. You're never doing it again. You better stop. You, the one league, now you're cut off. Next list. Lucilla, we're playing Living End again. This one isn't doing the As Foretold stuff, but it is blue. It has Force of Negation. And it's using Ardent Plea as one of its setup cards with some weird, weird cyclers in the form of Stripe Riverwinder, Glass, Duck, Glass Dust Hulk, Curator of Mysteries. Does adding blue to this deck do anything for it, Gerald? It depends on what you're worried about. So if you have decided that Living End is a good strategy and you are only worried about, you know, Storm or whatever, having Force of Negation makes sense. However... You are definitely losing out on, uh, I mean, I guess this deck could technically play Fulminator Mage, but you're losing out on that sort of stuff. And like Beast Within, your mana is a lot worse for sure. And I don't know, like you, you get forced, you lose a bunch of stuff. 
your package overall is kind of the same. Like you get some flyers, striped river winder, which is really big. So maybe your living ends are a little bit more impactful, more likely to actually close the game. Uh, but even like, yeah, the sideboard stuff isn't, isn't changing all that much. So I don't know. This, this might just be like, oh, I want to do something different. Yeah, we also have to cast our Violent Outburst after we've spent the first two turns cycling with blue and white, and uh, that's a little problematic as well. Yeah. Next deck, Ice Fang Quaddle, Snapcaster Mage, Wilderness Reclamation, getting back to the same shenanigans. This time, three Mystical Teachings. This is more in line with what I've seen from this archetype previously. Yeah, this is just the the OG version of this deck that popped up. Uh, I, I honestly like the Utopia Sprawl ones a lot better because... Ultimately, what you're trying to do is get to a point where you're wilderness reclamationing and making a bunch of mana, and that version actually leans into it a little bit more, whereas this is trying to do, like, sort of fair, like, slow you down with fatal push type of stuff. But I don't think you should be doing that. I think you should just, like, be focusing on combo killing people effectively. Uh, Historically, that's the right play in modern. Ignore your opponent. Do your thing as quickly as you can. So I'm inclined to agree with you, even without much experience with the archetype. Yeah, this this deck is cool. It's always been cool. Uh, someone will 5-0 with it every other week or whatever, but that means nothing. How about Jund? Jund Any is- love for Jund in the present metagame? We talked about Assassin's Trophy uh, maybe being a meaningful, meaningful card once more, and here you see three Colligans Command. That seems really appealing to me. Yeah, Jund is good. Jund folk, run free. Uh, you, you have been liberated from the horrible Gak. Uh, now you got Tron problems, and that's certainly a real problem, but I don't know. You got pretty good matchups across the board, I think. Yeah, let's see how we're dealing with the Tron problem here. We're playing three Fulminator Mages, so we're not dealing with the Tron problem. We're still losing to it a uh, huge amount of time, but can't do a lot about it, quite frankly, and hopefully those Fulminator Mages are mostly for other matchups at this point. Yeah, I uh, agree completely. I mean, y- you could try and make the Tron matchup a little bit better, it's not really worth it, I don't think. You're just going to lose anyway. Being able to play more Colligan's Command again helps, but you're still like stealing a match whenever you get it. So, uh, Looks like we're back on the Mono Red Prowess train, this time with an Abbot of Carol Keep as opposed to going hard into the one drops. Two mana feels like a ton in this deck. That's a powerful card, though, and one that I've often thought deserves a bigger place in the format. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I think I would much rather just play two Abbots than four Blister Coil Weirds because Abbot does give you a little bit of staying power and there's diminishing returns on one drops for sure. Like at, at some point it's just like, well, if I want another threat, I would just be better off playing a three drop because I'm going to spend my early turns playing a one drop and playing some setup spells and removal spells. And then turn three rolls around is not when you want to be deploying Blister Coil Weird. So This build makes sense. I actually like this build a decent amount more than the one above it. And it also has Burst Lightning as additional answers to Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah, like that a lot. That's a really big pickup. This seems like a fine deck list. I I think this is a good choice presently and was for quite some time very sneakily. Yeah, Uh, it's it's got some problems for sure, but uh, pretty fast, pretty resilient. Well, how about we get back to some rug shenanigans, this time featuring... My favorite card, Dreadhorde Arcanist, alongside Ancestral Vision and Crashing Footfalls, Electrodominance, as foretold. How much do you love this list, Gerald? How excited are you to hop in a league with these free spells? I want it to be good, you know, but Dreadhorde Arcanist with the zero mana cards, no way to really get them out in the graveyard outside of just casting them. 
I think Season Pyromancer probably belongs here because curving Arcanist into Season Pyromancer and then you flashback a zero is actually pretty powerful, but... I bet it's better than Tarmogoyf, actually. I, w- I would make that change straight up pretty happily. Yeah, I mean, Tarmogoyf kind of stands on its own, whereas Season Pyromancer sort of needs some help, so... Sure, but the, the rest of your deck is like cards that get paid off by having Season Pyromancer, and in combination with Dreadhorde Arcanist. Like, this deck isn't winning on the strength of its individual cards. It's winning on the fact that you've put together this package where you're able to generate tremendous value via your Arcanist and, you know, other leveraging of free spells. It's not just going to play a Tarmogoyf and be like, this is good enough. It doesn't have discard to back up a Tarmogoyf. Yeah, but I mean, it blocks and, like, gives you time. I mean, I guess Season Pyromancer does the same thing, but you're, like, sacrificing board position as you're jump blocking. So I, I don't really think of that as the same thing. The thing that I would probably look at changing is, like, the Jace, the Mind Sculptor, Bloodbraid Elf kind of setup. I think Bloodbraid Elf... You know, you hit As Foretold, that's probably pretty good. You hit one of the zeros, that's obviously good. You hit Electrodominance, you can cast a zero from your hand. Uh, but just, like, trying to use Jace to set it up doesn't strike me as worth it. So, I don't know. There should probably be some Season Pyros in here somewhere. Okay. We'll have to see if this gets any play. I, I like Crashing Footfalls as a card. I think it's very interesting and hasn't seen a particularly useful home yet. I hope someday it finds one. Yeah, I do also own a lot of foil copies, so I may be incentivized to help find that crashing footfalls home. But that's besides the point. No, I think footfalls is good. This the problem I have with this might actually just be that there are <clears throat> too many cards devoted to the engine, and maybe we can trim that down a little bit. Maybe that's my problem. Okay, let's see how this develops in the future. Cool approach. Hope it's good someday. Uh, next, next. up, mo- yeah, Mono Blutron, Nimble Obstructionist, and Mass. I don't get it. I don't like it. This is the same deck it's been for like years now, and the people who love this deck are all about it. I've never had someone successfully sell me on this on this deck. Like I get it, I understand why it's appealing. We talked about loving Blue White Tron years ago, uh, but we do so now with the acknowledgement that it was probably a pretty awful deck. I don't think this deck has really changed any of those limitations. Want this to be something I can do? Don't believe it is, and I think your cards just always die in this deck. I, yeah. I have a hard time believing this works. Yep. Next up, we have Urza with Goblin Engineer, but also playing Teferi Time Raveler. So the white mana is present, but Richie deciding that being able to juggle Ensnaring Bridge or Tutor for Ensnaring Bridge is stronger than just getting a Sword of the Meek or Batter Skull outright, which I think a lot of people have come to that conclusion. I'm still not sold that that's correct, but I don't know. Yeah, I've heard talk that people, some people believe Goblin Engineer will ultimately prove to be better than Stoneforge Mystic. I think they are probably different decks in a lot of ways. I think there's different setups you can use, different game plans you can leverage that incentivize both those options. Personally, I'm playing Stoneforge Mystic right now. You need to show me that one of the most broken cards in the history of Magic doesn't have a place in an archetype like this. And at some point, I can come on board with that. I can believe it. But the starting point, I think, is just inclusion and leverage all the things it brings to the table and all the problems it solves for this deck. You can pressure Planeswalkers. You can blunt early aggression. You can opponent punish opponents' stumbles even more effectively. So we talked about my love of this archetype. I, I love this deck too. I'm not saying this isn't completely playable, a completely reasonable choice. I would just be playing Stoneforge this week. Yeah, and this, this list looks solid for what it is too. I mean, y- you have... Uh, Chromatic Star to go with Goblin Engineer. Pentad Prism powers up like Urza and War of Invention and then just gets cashed in or sits in play as an artifact, which 
I think is a pretty nice addition. Uh, maybe better than Mindstone. Uh, I like basically all the numbers on the various things. So if you want to play uh, three or four color Urza, I mean, maybe just start here. Next deck. Mold this Drifter. Is the, this is Eld- the fair version of this Eldritch Evolution deck, which I've seen floating around quite a bit, not doing the broken stuff anymore. What do you think about this approach? I mean, you're killing them with Devoted Druid, right? Like, does that not qualify as broken? Yeah, I, I guess I should probably give that credit. It's not as broken as killing them on turn one, right? But yeah. yes, doing this combo is still a very broken thing to do. Yeah, I like the idea of this deck that's sided into like Allosaurus Rider and Gristlebrand. I don't think that that's particularly good, but it was certainly adorable. And I don't know. I feel like if I was just going to play a deck like this, I would just want the Stoneforged Mystic backup plan. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me to not have it. And then people are kind of trapped into boarding artifact removal in against you. So that's uh, it's kind of nice. I, th- I think this deck is good for sure. Giver of Runes helps a lot. And you have so much redundancy with all the tutors. And if you're playing against a bunch of spot removal, you have post-mortem lunge to give your devoted druid haste. Yeah, I... I like having a B plan in this archetype because the A plans existed for a long time and mostly hasn't set the format on fire. Decks are generally prepared to account for this plan. Add a new wrinkle, play Stoneforge Mystic, right? Yeah. Blue red, Delver stuff. Oh my God. Also, worth noting, last deck. We made it. Somehow, Gerald, we have traipsed through these 88 deck lists in what's now been three hours and 10 minutes we've been live for. Uh, What do you want to say about our final deck? Delver of Secrets. Uh, so after Modern Horizons came out, people were experimenting with blue-red Delvery things, I think a lot because of Force of Negation. Right. So you get to play a, a lower land count and not have to play a bunch of two-mana counterspells or more expensive counterspells because you have this free option, which then allows you to play more cantrips in your deck and just more spells in general to make your Delvers a little bit more consistent. So it has that going for it. But then again, uh, Delver is just sort of a weak card, especially when it's worse than a coin flip to transform. And then the supporting cast isn't all that good either. You have Terramander, which is fine, but a little bit slow. You don't have a whole lot of reason to play things like Gutshot or zero mana cards. So... Terramander to adapt is fairly slow going. And then for additional threats, you have Snapcaster Mage and Young Pyromancer, which are a little too mana intensive for what you're doing. And I don't know, man. It's just very low power level. Very low. Way too fair for the modern format. Need those Delvers to flip more reliably. Need better threats. Need a lot of stuff. Uh, I have always wanted a deck like this to be good in modern. It's not. And I would not play this right now. That is my present take on this deck. I think there's also a lot to say for trying to play a really low-to-the-ground tempo deck versus something like the Stoneblade decks, where you're a little bit slower than this, or like a, a decent bit slower than this, but you have the capability of transforming into a control deck. So you're not as fast as this Delver deck, but you're still creating like these tempo situations. You're still presenting a clock, you know, disrupting your opponent a little bit with counter spells or field of ruin or whatever. But you just you have so much more flexibility. You have so much more power in your cards. So I, I just don't really see a reason to play Delver instead of Stoneforge Mystic as your tempo threat. Makes sense to me, and that will cancel this deck list from my to play list. 
I'm going to continue to sleeve up Stoneforge Mystic for a little while, get all that out of my system. And then at some point, like I said, I, I think if I was playing this weekend, I'd either be playing Urza or Tron. If it was a high stakes tournament, I think it's Tron. I, I just don't think people are accounting for it with these deck lists. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to help myself with just trying to play Stoneforge Mystic and reliving some of that nostalgia. And my deck is actually good Snook, so I'd be able to play it in one more league. That would be allowed. All right. Poor Snook getting beat down. Well, after three hours, I suppose it's time for questions, right? That's how we generally wrap up these shows. Uh, do we have to? We have to. Yeah. And here's how we're going to do it. I, I want to take questions. We'll take a couple from Twitch chat just because folks have been here hanging out with us the whole time. I would like to do that for them. We're going to do a little bit quicker hit questions. I don't want to take really long questions like we usually do. But I want to start by pulling them from our Discord where our fine patrons hang out who support us and everything we do. And Tried to give back a little bit extra this week with tons and tons of podcast material. I hope folks are enjoying that. But uh, show a little bit more appreciation to the folks over in the Discord and start with their questions. So I'm going to hit you with a few. How about I just read you a few questions and you give me quick hit answers? Let's do it that way. Does that work for you? Uh, you have some good questions already picked out? Yeah, I have a couple interesting ones that you can weigh in on. Okay, cool. Yeah, hit me. Dark Confidant still a bad card in modern post these bands. A little bit better, for sure. It's okay with Stoneforge Mystic because it's another body that gives you some amount of card advantage, but it's really not something that is expendable and that you want to get into combat. So I don't know. I, I think I would much rather stick to, you know, Squadron Hawk or Thalia or something along those lines or Ice Fang Coatl, even something that gives you value rather than Dark Confidant. But if you want to play like Jund with Dark Confidant, I think that's pretty reasonable because the format has seemed to slow down. This is a tough question. It's it's kind of hard to pick out anything after going through 88 decks, but is there anything absent from the deck dump that surprised you two? That comes from Marcus. And our first question came from Ferox over in the Discord. Oh God, I don't know. I would have to like cross-reference it with my article, but off the top of my head, no... Yeah, nothing immediately stood out to me. Maybe more like mid-rangey, uh, like classical zoo-type builds. There was something approaching that, but more of a burn zoo. Like something like Wild Nakadal into Stoneforge Mystic seems like someone should have sleeved something like that up. Yeah, I mean, there's also, uh, like, there, there wasn't a deck that was, like, a weird place to put Stoneforge Mystic, you know, that we didn't think of or whatever. Like, just, like, ad nauseum, sideboarding four copies or something, <laughs> sure, right? Sure, sure. People were mostly... Uh, playing heads up you know they were just putting it in the obvious spots where it's supposed to go and maybe that's how things will continue or maybe people will experiment a little bit more and actually find some unique spots for it bob and cheese wants to know is stoneforge mystic fun i don't think so because it just creates repetitive play patterns like you're you're tutoring for a sword you're you're violating it into play just like the early turns all look basically the same when that card's involved and you just lose out on some of the variety of gameplay, which I think is what people like about modern and why they have banned things in the interest of diversity before. Yeah. That being one of the tenets of your previous ban decisions and then unleashing this deck dump, which has 29 different decks playing Stoneforge Mystic is a little weird to me. I will say that. I think this period has been interesting. I've enjoyed exploring this problem, but I'll enjoy any problem you present me. Like it doesn't matter what changes you made. I will look into them and try and figure out a good solution to them. Yeah. And long-term it remains to be seen if this is going to hold up a lot of Stoneforge stuff and every deck is really incentivized to pick them up. Yeah. And it's, 
I don't know. You you get to look at it like, oh, the the you know the metagame, right? You know what you have to beat, and there are things that can beat it, absolutely. But is is this a fun way to have to approach modern? I don't know. I mean, the the gameplay at least is interactive, and it is on the battlefield and everything. I just don't think that this is the right way to do it. Yeah. All right. One final question from the Discord. Blackout twenty eight wants to know. In case you didn't answer this already, which deck from the dump? is your favorite. Uh, I found Aaron's the most intriguing. I'll say that. Uh, her deck was definitely the sweetest. Which one did I say was my favorite? Probably just the Urza, Urza blade. The first, the first crack at Urza we took. Yeah. I mean that, that was my pick for what I would play this weekend in my article. So uh, it was okay. cool. It was cool to see other people picking up similar decks just independently and, having success with them and uh, just kind of validating the things that I thought were true already. So I will also mention uh, the Bant versions of like the stone blade decks. Yeah. Uh, I thought they were very interesting as well. Very high on those. All right, chat. I'm going to take one question from the chat. We've been at this for so long. Only one question. Jerry, you pick a question from the chat. A lot of people find white creatures fun. That's that. Yeah. It's not a question. <laughs> Correct. And, you know, I don't think that was Bob and Jesus' point. They were responding to our earlier thing. And it's like, yeah, I, I get that because it, they are interactive, right? So it, it does kind of make sense. And we'll see if this lasts. I mean, maybe people have fun with it for three months. And then it's just like, God, can we just get this over with? Yeah, we'll see. What is my Cactar's name? Its name is Cactar. It's like a Pokemon. It only says its name. Also, I just want to point out to everyone watching this live on Twitch, I bought jerry a green screen he should be floating in space right now and you shouldn't even be able to see that cacti no but it's, so it's sitting next to him i presently. have i have the shelf with all this sweet artwork and stuff and i realize that people can't really see it anyway but right. i mean come on so you, you should be floating in space no the people should be able to you know look at the art and the statues and be like oh i like that thing and then we get to bond over that you know i, I just realized my i guess thunder said my my hole in the space is showing i don't have my green screen over far enough so. oh geez that's fine yeah luke likes the background and personality no personality here we're all business at the arena decklist podcast Ooh, Daryl Ayers asking Stoneforge Mystic deck with Rune Chanter's Pike a possibility. No one's really mentioned it. You are correct. No one has mentioned it. Once you have, you know, Stoneforge and some equipment, it's it's tough to jam a bunch of spells to make Pike super busted. And there's a non-zero amount of times where, you know, obviously you're playing Thought Scour in this sort of deck, and then you scour away your only equipment, and you can't Stoneforge for it. So I don't know. Like, is is Pike in just like tending someone better than hitting them with a sword. I'm not really sure it is. Yeah. I think we just needed like Gitaxium probe, good cantrips. And then that would be reasonable. But given the tools we have now, Pike seems because you can't thought scour Like you said, you're, you're too vulnerable to just shutting yourself out. Oh no, I would. Package. I would. I would absolutely thought scour and just, that's very silly and just pray every time. Right. You're like the person who plays Dark Confidant with Emrakul in your deck. You're like, it'll sort itself out. Oh, I've done that. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People are pointing out that like Lingering Souls would be a good card in that sort of deck. I agree with that. Nice to finally find a use for those Lingering Souls. Uh, do you think Stoneforge Mystic availability will warp the meta at MCQs this weekend from St. Elmo? That's a good question. I think the modern metagame is far more static than we give it credit for. 
And I think that where people were not just priced out of, or I shouldn't say priced out, banned out of their deck, they are probably just playing the same deck. A lot of people have a modern deck. They commit to it. They love it. They see it as part of their identity, as we mentioned previously. And it's one of the reasons the modern format has been so successful. So when we talk about these things from the grinder's perspective, like this type of decision-making really only appeals to what? A thousand people on the planet who are like making these decisions and will pay any cost or already have all the cards and will pick up whatever. I, I think we're just so tuned in to making the optimal decision that we don't consider a lot of the other factors that go into deck choice. And there are a lot of them. And I would expect to not see all that much Stoneforge Mystic this weekend. Someone pointed out the package costs like $400 right now or something preposterous. Like all the cards are very expensive. Very, very expensive. I've owned them for a very long time. So I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind. You're so lucky. I I know. I I totally agree. I'm incredibly lucky. I owned literal zero of those cards. Uh, During this week, I was able to acquire three Stoneforge Mystics, uh, but I'm currently lacking all the equipment options and the fourth Mystic. Uh, If I were going to a tournament, I would have acquired them and I would have bought them. uh, But I'm certainly very privileged. I also could have probably found them, asked people to loan them to me. And I think that the like higher tier grinder people are going to have those networks and have money set aside to fund their hobby that they take very seriously and stuff. But for the average person attending this tournament, I mean, if they really, really want to play it, maybe, but otherwise they're just going to be like, I'm going to play my mill deck or my Jun deck or whatever. And they're not going to worry about it. Yep. Uh, That's what I would expect. So I wouldn't overreact in a live tournament setting to how many people will pick up Stoneforge. It's it's not as many as are justified, quite frankly, as many as should pick up Stoneforge Mystic. Oh, what up, Willie G? Uh, are we allowed to ask Jerry what he thinks his chances on getting into the Hall of Fame are? Brian, I'm going to ask you that because I'm kind of curious. Low. Yeah. Like how low? I, I think they're low at 20% and maybe that's high. Like 20% to get in or I'm getting 20% of the vote? 20% to get in. Okay. What, what and, per- and I think that's probably too high. Yeah, no, I think so too. I, th- I think uh, it's like sub 10% that I get in. Yeah, look, I, I, do, I don't care a lot for the Hall of Fame. I respect all, okay, I respect most of the people who have achieved that over time and who have done that great accomplishment. And I'm not trying to take anything away from them. I think there's far too many people included. I think it's this weird actual secret level of the pro club that doesn't really reflect what a hall of fame should be. I I really don't enjoy the whole process. And for whatever reason, it has become an issue of hard metrics and just a very large portion of voters will not consider you unless you have crossed a certain metric threshold. I think that's incorrect. I think that's a silly way to do a hall of fame, but I think that's what ultimately disqualifies you and you just need one more Pro Tour top eight. And then you'd probably be a lock, quite frankly. Yeah, of course. And it's so stupid because your contributions to the game, what you've meant as a player, like your quality as a Magic player, completely not reflective of missing that one other Pro Tour finish. And like my point is that if it's just about finishes, then you assign a point value to every conceivable finish, you tally them up, and each year you put in the three people with the highest point value. And that's it. We're done. 
because we're just trying to get the players who have achieved the best results over time. And this is the best way you can possibly figure out who deserves that accolade. Otherwise, we need to account for things that matter a tremendous amount. And I think given all you've done for players, uh, the stances you've taken, you certainly have a very good case to be in my Hall of Fame. Well, my Hall of Fame would only have three players right now, so maybe not my <laughs> Hall of Fame. But my, my, you would have earned my vote in this go-around because of your contributions to the game. Uh, I wish more people felt that way, but I think the odds are pretty slim to get in. Yes, me too. I mean, there's so there's some amount of traction on social media where – uh, you know, someone pointed out that like all the, the pro points people were voting for me and it's like, yeah, that's cool, but that's three people and they're all in the same social circle and they all share, you know, their opinions with each other and that kind of influences what their opinions are and stuff. And I also know all three of them personally, right? So it's just such a, a biased and small sample size that it's not really worth anything. And the same could actually just be said of Twitter at large, right? So, yeah. yeah, the votes go pretty far. They go far outside the realm of Twitter, and there's a lot we're just not hearing about. Yeah, I, I'm not thrilled with the entire Hall of Fame process in general. Same. I wish you the best of luck. I hope it goes well, but I, I don't have high expectations. Oh, actually, I should revise my previous statement. I said I would only have three players. Someone mentioned to me, and I conceded the point that I would have four players now. It would be John, Kai, PV, and LSV. I think those are four reasonable conclusions. I didn't have LSV for a while. And then someone yelled at me about what about Nasif? And I, I just gave up and I'm like, you gotta, you gotta draw a line somewhere. This is no one's putting me in charge of the hall of fame. So don't worry about it. I'm not going to be given this authority. Yeah. Got some comparisons to uh green sun Zenith. Uh, as far as Stoneforge mystic is concerned is like all these decks are just, you know, kind of playing out the same way. They take up the same six cards in all the decks. And I, I think that that is certainly valid. Interesting. Now I want to check in in a couple months from now and see if we're still happy with Stoneforge floating around. Yeah. Is that it? I think that's it. We've been at this for a very long time. <clears throat> oh God. And well, I'm very, I'm very hungry. I would like to go for a run. I would like you to free me from this podcast. I'm, I'm hungry too. I wanted to go to PAX, but this podcast kind of destroyed my day. So. Thank you. That's, how you. that's how you know it's a really good podcast when it just ruins your life. That means yep. it's a top-notch piece of entertainment. Yeah, thank you, Magic Online players, for playing a bunch of different decks and making me spend three hours to record this wonderful podcast. I, I kind of appreciate it, but I also kind of hate it. But yeah, <laughs> that is game. Good luck.